Welcome back to Monthly Cardoso. It is I, your guest, Ryan Gray. Not really sure what was going on with that, I guess, WrestleMania 3 theme song, but according to YouTube, that is the WrestleMania 3 official theme song, so congratulations, Aretha Franklin. We're back. It's a big episode, guys. WrestleMania 3, as we make our way back 1987, and it is good to be back. Thank you, everyone, for all your positive feedback. That was great to hear. We're going to have 14 or so special no-so guests on this episode where we truck through WrestleMania 3. And uh, at the end, we are going to have a simulcast with our YouTube channel. If, if you have not checked out our YouTube channel, it is over on YouTube at North-South Connection. A lot of our audio shows are starting to simulcast over there. You get like a block of my show, Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0. You get full ECW, you get full No Holes Barred, you get full War, you get full War Zone. So if you haven't checked out the YouTube yet and you want to see what our beautiful faces look like, well, some of them being beautiful anyways, go over there and check it on out. Uh, but that's enough of, for now, guys. Let's start getting into WrestleMania 3. Mike Eller, take us off, buddy. Hello, North-South Connection, and welcome to another edition of Cronoso Monthly, where we as a podcast are taking a look at the monthly big events that WWE has has had in its history, whether it's a big Saturday night's main event or a big pay-per-view. We've got you covered here, and today we're, we're fortunate to bring you one of the biggest pay-per-views in company history whether you think it's the best wrestlemania of all time whether you think it's overrated it's it's something you want to talk about and that pay-per-view is wrestlemania 3 which is taking place from the pontiac silverdome in uh, pontiac michigan so we know this is a huge show Uh, we know this is hogan versus andre we know this is one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time where Ricky Steamboat will wrestle Macho Man Randy Savage for the Intercontinental title. And uh, we've got other big matches as well, but just wanted to touch on, you know, how we got here for WrestleMania 3 uh, for at least a couple of the big matches. Obviously, Andre the Giant is now a heel. He had been a babyface. Uh, we had seen him as a, as a babyface in WWF. But he is now with Bobby the Brain Heenan, uh, quite possibly the biggest nemesis in Hulk Hogan's career. And uh, it all started when Hulk Hogan was presented a trophy. Uh, He had been WWF champion for three years. And Andre comes out. You know, he's a good friend. He says, you know, Hulk, awesome. You know, congrats. And then Andre, you know, he's seven feet. He's listed. I think they presented him at seven foot four. Seven foot five. Uh, he gets a trophy for being undefeated and fit for fifteen years, but it's it's like this really small trophy that Andre gets. And Hogan, he comes out to congratulate him. He's actually Hogan's a good friend here, but uh, Andre's not happy, and uh, he leaves the uh, he walks out. And um, later on an edition of Piper's Pit, uh, Bobby Heenan, like I said, joins him to be Andre's new manager. Andre challenges Hogan to a title match at WrestleMania 3, and then he attacks Hogan by ripping off his shirt and uh, his crucifix necklace. And we know the reaction that Hogan does. Uh, you know, he was devastated. He sold it very well. Um, then, you know, another big, big match, uh, 
is that we I wanted to touch base on is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Macho Man Randy Savage uh, started with the title match when uh, Savage he attacked Steamboat um, as Ricky was you know saying hello to the, to the fans. Uh, got really vicious. He threw the dragon over a rail. Uh, he sent gave, gave him an elbow shot um, into Steamboat's throat into the rail, and uh, then he dropped the ring bell onto his throat from the and then from the top rope, uh, you know, sent him in with an elbow drop. Injured his larynx. Ricky had to go to the hospital. Uh, Savage is absolutely vicious. If you can, you know, eventually after this, you know, check that out. It it I mean it's really awesome. Um, I mean, this feud goes for half a year, and uh, yeah, can't wait for our guys here, um, our team here, to deliver, uh, you know, a review of that match, uh, which we'll get to later on in the program. Like I said, this show is held at the Pontiac Silverdome. It is in Pontiac, Michigan, um, which is a suburb of Detroit. It, you know, just taking a look, it's about 20 miles northwest of Detroit, um, and I personally haven't been to Pontiac, but you know, like I said, on the last one, I've been to Detroit. Detroit's a really cool city and it's in Oakland County, um, which is a little, yeah, Oakland University is in Oakland County. Um, it's yeah. So an area of Detroit or area of, you know, greater Detroit. And so what we've got going on here at Pontiac in terms of the history of WWF shows at the Pontiac Silverdome. This is actually the second show that's being held at the Pontiac Silverdome um, for the WWF. Uh, the first one was a house show. It took place July of 86. Uh, pretty cool card. The main event, Hogan defeated the Magnificent Morocco. Um, some other good matches. The British Bulldogs uh, wrestled the Hart Foundation. Harley Race versus... Uh, Unfortunately, the recently passed away Lanny Poffo. Uh, Billy Jack Haynes defeated Bob Orton. Uh, that was a DQ match. So we got some good stuff from that. And then this is, uh, yeah, so this is the second one. WrestleMania 30 did not take place at the Pontiac Silverdome, um, contrary to what Hulk Hogan had said at WrestleMania 30. Uh, that was at the Superdome. But, uh, yeah, so only the second one here. Uh, the Silver Dome un was torn down in 2018. It took a couple times. Um, the Lions most notably played there. Um, that was like the team I most associated with them. With I was surprised actually to see the Detroit Pistons play there up until 1988. I always thought the Palace at Auburn Hills was a lot older than just 1988. Um, so yeah, so. This, that's where we're at. We're heading to WrestleMania 3. I hope you guys enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy the little history lesson that I provided as well. Uh, we'll talk to you next month. Um, at least I will talk to you next month, but we've got a lot of great voices that are going to provide more um, awesome details about this legendary show. Hey, everyone. This is the Down Under Thunder, Dave Hall, and I am bringing you the opening match of WrestleMania 3, the Can-Am connection against the magnificent Morocco and ace cowboy Bob Orton, uh, it managed by Mr. Fuji. Now, this is 
when you look at this, this is a pretty big match to kick off the show. The Can-Am Connection had just really started the company. They had a couple of TV tapings in late 86, went on tour of Japan, and then have been full-time since the beginning of January 1987. Uh, they joined the company from Montreal when the WF pretty well bought out Montreal territory and, you know, the Can-Ams and uh, Dino Bravo and, you know, a couple of others all came in. Um, Morocco and Orton are very interesting because these guys have been very prominent on WWF television for a long time. Um, if you don't remember, Orton, after Roddy Piper went on his leave of absence after WrestleMania 2, Bob Orton basically became the bodyguard for Adrian Adonis and Jimmy Hart. And then as the Piper-Adonis feud kicked off, Orton was right in the middle of that, and Morocco was helping them as well. So these guys have really been heavily featured, completely linked with the battle between Adonis and, and Roddy Piper. So they're at the top of the card. They've been quite prominent prominent players. Here they are, teamed together to open up WrestleMania. Um, neither team really gets the, the, the... There's no music for either team. They start off in the ring. They actually came to the ring while Gorilla and Jesse were introing the show. Uh, you could hear the crowd cheer as they come in, but in the ring, we get our intros, and the first thing to note is just how big Morocco is. He looks massive. Um, Jesse actually calls him a tank, and Gorilla says it's the biggest he's ever been in his career. I mean, it's pretty clear that Morocco has started building himself up uh, to become the 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 massive powerhouse. He he. I mean, he's already a powerhouse, but he's even more massive when he turns face and becomes the Rock. Uh, Martel shockingly shoulder blocks Morocco down, and um. And it's um, it's quite surprising. Morocco drives Martel into the corner, does the knees. We get the Irish whip into the turnbuckles by Morocco, but Martel leapfrogs over and then does this body scissors backflip move, which looks very similar to an early version of a Hurricane Run or a Frankensteiner, which I was quite surprised. I'd never noticed it in the match until um, I was reviewing it for, for this episode of Cronoso. So um, it, it was quite a good-looking move. Um, Zenk comes in, we get a double monkey flip on Morocco, we get a double hip toss on Orton, uh, and then Orton and Zenk start working each other, and Zenk really just starts working the arm, does the arm bar, uh, we get the old, uh, Orton tries to ram Zenk into the turnbuckle, but, but Zenk blocks it, does one of his own, keeps working the arm bar, um, they trade full Nelsons, and at this point, Morocco comes in to give Zenk the, the cheap shot, but uh, Zenk ducks and Orton gets taken out by it by itself. Uh, the Can-Ams keep working the arm, tagging in and out. Um, we then get the the Morocco and Orton get control finally when they do the Irish whip and Orton lifts the knee into the back of Zenk and, and slows him down. Uh, Morocco and Orton really, they get a couple of nice little double team moves, but then we get the head-to-head clash and, and both Zenk and and uh, Morocco, oh, sorry, Orton are down. Hot tags made. Both teams are in. Um, everyone's fighting. I mean, Morocco actually does the upside down flip over the ropes, and then Zenk slingshots him back into the ring while Martel disposes of Orton. And at this point, we get this nice move where Orton uh, is, where, sorry, where Morocco is whipped across the ring by Martel. Uh, he does a high cross body and Zenk was still in the ring and basically it's it's like a schoolboy trip and uh, 
Morocco is pinned by Martel. Jesse talks about there being a little bit too much double teaming in his mind, but the reality is Morocco and Orton and the Can-Ams, they're all in there together at the same time. It's a really interesting match because essentially the Can-Ams dominated the entire match. Orton and Morocco got pretty well two or three offensive moves in, in this very short four to five minute match. And, and that was it. It was all Can-Ams. They completely dominated the match. And this is, this is a big win because the way they dominated the match and, and the level that Orton and Morocco had been at really puts the Can-Ams in the, that prime contender position very quickly. They are seen as big-time players. Sadly, it doesn't happen. Uh, very quickly uh, after WrestleMania 3, Zenk leaves and uh, Rick Martel finds himself a new partner. But that's a story for another day. The fact of the matter is, to kick off WrestleMania 3, we've had a really good opening match. Quick tags. Quick moves, no, no real um, rest time. It's 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 fast paced, bag- magnificent match. From this awesome Australian, the man down under, he's going to give it three boomerangs. That means you really want to come back and watch it. Three boomerangs, um, because a boomerang is always something that's going to come back. You got to see it again. So uh, there we go. Can Ams get the win? Morocco and Orton, they're gonna they're gonna go off into the sunset and 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 they're gonna start, you know things are going to change for them as well. But yeah, great way to kick off WrestleMania 3. Cronoso Monthly. This is Jim Bly Jake running solo here. Um, talking some uh, WrestleMania 3. I have pulled Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules. Or should I call him Billy Jerk Haynes? As Bobby the Brain Heenan says in this pre-match promo, this is a battle of the full Nelsons, uh between Billy Jack and uh, Hercules here. Um, Herc's got the chain. Uh, both guys completely juiced here, juiced to the gills. Like I feel like these two guys are like as juiced as you could be in WWF in this era, where you're not like a giant dude. Like they're not like warlord size, but they are fucking look like statues. So they got that going on. So, in that aspect, I kind of dig this match. I've always kind of low-key liked this. It's not like my favorite match. But I think it serves a pretty good place on the WrestleMania 3 card here. I like that you still got the natural light coming in early on in the show here. Um, but it's just a lot of, like, juiced-up 80s guy offense here. Like, at the beginning, you get a nice uh, press slam by Billy Jerk. Herc starts to hammer him. And it's just a lot of strikes and clotheslines. But, like, it all looks pretty good because both these guys are built like kind of brick shit houses. So it kind of works. Um, like even if their offense is a little basic, it's not like like I kind of buy it. Like I just like the idea of these two guys who look like they're chiseled out of stone, just beating the piss out of each other. Um, Herc starts softening up the back a little bit, and he goes for uh, the full Nelson, our first one out of the uh, of the match, of course, being the battle of the full Nelsons. Uh, but uh, Mister uh, Jerk is able to uh, get out of there. Uh, a lot of scoop slams here, atomic drops, all again, all looking pretty legit. Billy Jack finally gets his uh, his atomic drop lot, atomic drop, not the battle of the atomic drops, the full Nelsons. He locks in the full Nelson, and uh, he gets that locked in. But they end up somehow getting themselves on the outside of the ring, and in the battle of the full Nelsons between these two guys, we get a double countout, which is pretty lame for this match. I mean, I guess they were trying to protect both guys. Kind of odd. Like, I don't know if these are two guys that you need to protect. I feel like they could have taken a loss, okay? 
But, you know, whatever. So kind of a lame double count-out finish. But they sort of make up for it because we go back into the ring. Um, and Hurt goes and gets the chain and just wallops Billy Jerk with it. Um, just cracks him over the head. And he does a pretty nasty blade job. Uh, he's bleeding all over. Um, again, kind of cool to see in this setting, in this WrestleMania 3 setting, just a guy doing a sick uh, blade job. Juicing all over the place. Um, and I think it puts over, like, even though he didn't win the match, like, Hercules, I think, comes off as kind of a killer, kind of ruthless. It also puts over the chain as, like, this deadly weapon that can really fuck up somebody's world here. So, yeah, like I said, I, I kind of dig this. If I if I to rate this match, like, star rating-wise, I'd probably say it's, like, a, probably for me, like, a two and three quarter. Again, not, like, some amazing match. But I think, like, as you'll probably hear as we go through this whole WrestleMania 3 card, WrestleMania 3 is a show that I feel like is it's greater than the sum of its star ratings. Like I think it's just the way all this stuff meshes together in the atmosphere. And again, I don't think this is some classic match, but I think it plays a good role. These are two, um, I think pretty over guys here. And again, it's just, uh, it serves its purposes, just like two juiced up dudes, like hammering each other. It kind of plays that role in the car. Like I feel like every, Every match on this show kind of plays its role pretty well. And I think this one does it. You get the blood. You get Bobby out there doing Bobby stuff. You get the chain. You get Herc uh, soaking up the heel heat. So all that is pretty good. Um, and uh, yeah, I've never been the biggest fan of either of these guys. Not that I don't like them. But I think they deliver here. I think this is a good little um, a good little spot on the undercard for these guys. For the Battle of the Full Nelson. I don't know why it was the Battle of the Full Nelson. I'm, I should be more familiar with the build to this. I guess. As uh, someone doing a podcast on it. But but yeah. That's pretty much the match. Short, simple, to the point. Um, I hope you're enjoying listening to this. WrestleMania 3 conglomeration. That we put together for you. Um, I'm of course John Blythe Drake. If you want to hear me here on the North-South Connection. You can check out the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast. Um, if you haven't listened, I would definitely start with the WrestleMania 19 podcast that I just did. Two parts covered the entire show. So go ahead and check that out. Covering the Ruthless Aggression era, if that's something you're interested in. Cover the weekly TV, all the minutia. So if that's your jam, check it out. It will be here on the South Connection every Tuesday. So let's carry on. Cronoso enjoying WrestleMania 3. Hello, Cronoso Monthly. I'm Ryan Everett, and I'm going to continue our journey through WrestleMania 3. And I drew, I guess you could say, the short straw and came up with Hillbilly Jim, <clears throat> the Haiti Kid, and Little Beaver against King Kong Bundy, Lord Littlebrook, and the Little Tokyo. So it's Two little people per team and one big guy per team. And I went looking. There was not a lot of buildup apparently to this match. No superstars or challenges mentioned it. I did see Hillbilly Jim and his team were on the snake pit in early March. So I guess <clears throat> they were talking about it somewhat then at least, which is good to see. I want to see this match get as much buildup as possible. <clears throat> And really, it's quite the drop for King Kong Bundy, who main evented WrestleMania 2, and now he's third match on the card, teaming with some little people. But the match beforehand, King Kong Bundy promises to flatten Hillbilly Jim, and if his teammates get in the way, he'll do that to them also, so some nice foreshadowing. 
And then Hillbilly Jim promises to uh, that he's not worried about King Kong Bunny hurting him, but he is worried about what he'll do to his little buddies. And then he carries them off like children to make it as serious as possible. And we get Bob Uecker up in the booth, and he's having a grand old time making fun of all of this nonsense. Uh, so we start with the some little people action to start, and we get all their little standard spots, the rowboat, the rolling around. And uh, every time Little Beaver is in the heel corner, he makes sure to give King Kong Bundy a shot in the boiler, as Bob Uecker says. Little elbow to where his elbows would reach, and eventually King Kong Bundy tags in, and Little Beaver kind of pretends to want to fight him, gives him a drop kick that does nothing, and then Hillbilly Jim comes in. Hillbilly and King Kong Bundy do their thing for about a minute. It's just kind of standard big man, late '80s lumbering. Uh, King Kong Bundy gets a front face lock on, and again. Little Beaver comes in making a little nuisance of himself, hits him in the back with his moccasins, and then runs back out. And uh, Bundy gets Hillbilly Jim in the corner, and looks like he's going to go for the avalanche. And again, Little Beaver runs in, makes his presence known. And this time King Kong Bundy's just had enough, and he slams him on the mat, and then drops an elbow. And the ref calls for the DQ, as this was not part of the rules. You were not allowed to... Uh, co. You're not allowed to just co mingle and have big King Kong people versus non versus the little people. So Hillbilly Jim and Little Beaver and the Haiti Kid win by DQ, and then Bundy goes to drop another elbow, and all the little people come out and help him. And as Eugene would later say. The good midgets and the bad midgets teamed up and formed a midget army. So, yep, this is what it is. It's three and a half minutes. It's mostly for comedy. You get Bob Uecker in the booth with Gorilla, which is is a happening, as Gorilla would say. Uh, I don't know. Star. There's no real star rating for this. It's, it is what it is. It's entertaining and it doesn't go too long and... You get to see King Kong Bundy splash a midget, so I think it's a thumbs up for me. All right, that's all I got. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Bye. Cronoso listeners, you have made it to the most important match of WrestleMania 3. Uh, obviously, I mean... King Harley Race versus uh, Junkyard Dog. Appreciate that um, placement in the match card. But my name is Jennifer Smith, and I'm here with my partner, Logan, to break down this legendary match. How are you, Logan? Oh, I'm doing great, and I cannot wait to get into this absolutely all-time classic we have here for, in front of us tonight. So. Oh, it surely is. It be a blast. <laughs> uh, starts out with one of the most awkward interviews I've ever seen with... Uh, uh, very, um, I, I'm not, I haven't seen that much Mula footage, uh, but I, she seemed very strung out. Something was wrong with her. I don't know. She was talking like a robot mm -hmm. and being very wooden. It was very weird. 
Yeah, she was not excited to be there. I don't think she, yeah. I, I, she, she's such a uh, dom, domineering person. I think she doesn't like to be like uh, subservient to anyone. So she felt like she was the subservient queen to the king in the situation. So she was uncomfortable. But yeah, very, very robotic, very uh, Southern. Uh, so yeah. And, well, <laughs> I, I can't blame her for that. I mean, it is bullshit because it's Harley yeah. Race. I'm like, come on, give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get a little bit of their backstory um, with some um, with some footage, and basically, um, JYD uh, wants to be the king. I suppose. Um, I don't know why. I, I, okay, that's fine. Anyway, <laughs> JYD is great, uh, and it is a loser must bow match, I guess. So uh, at the end, there will be some sort of ceremony uh, to really tie it all together. Yeah, as I say, basically, winner is the king, uh, loser bows. So, um, yeah, just just uh, uh, they show a little uh, backstory, like you said, uh, just a couple of Saturday night main event interviews and uh, kind of an attack that Race and Heenan had uh, got, gotten on over on uh, JYD at one point. But yeah, uh, not not the most exciting uh, intro, or uh, not the most exciting. Um, hype package for this one but uh we'll get into the match and see how exciting that ends up being so <laughs> what do you think about the little carts that they ride down to the ring i think it's a pretty cool touch um i, I like I, it a lot <laughs> yeah i mean obviously it's because the uh ramp is like five million feet million. Long. <laughs> yeah so um but uh yeah i, I like the touch of it it's it, it gives it a real old school feel mm-hmm. i feel like that's like a really old school kind of thing um, and it's grand and actually, too. It's mm, very WrestleMania. Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, the last time that they had the Royal Rumble in the Alamo Dome, which we just went to mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, um, they they had like a longer ramp uh, that time. I think they used the whole stadium instead of just the half, like they did when mm-hmm. uh, we were there. Uh, and they actually had to use the golf carts there. So uh, I was kind of hoping we would get a little bit of that when we went, but um, I'm kind of mm-hmm. glad we didn't at the same time. But uh, yeah, I, I like the feel of the carts going to the ring. I give it, it gives it a very uh, WrestleMania feel, like you said. And even this match, it's, it's this match is whatever it is, but it's, it's <laughs> shot beautifully. Like it looks amazing. Um, it might, it might elevate it just a little bit for me, just the setting of it. All right, well, let's get into the match. Just like we said, it's a winner is the king, loser has to bow. Um, really not in, much in the way of wrestling holds on this one, uh, from especially from JYD. Lots of headbots, lots of punches. Mm-hmm. He even does his little thump finisher where he kind of just crawls around on his hands and knees and hits the person with headbutts over and over again. Uh, so, yeah, not, not many wrestling moves in this one. Um, there's a hell of a spot at one point where race, is, uh, ha- race has um, – JYD on the ground on the outside and he goes for a, a headbutt off the apron and he misses and he does like a ridiculously awesome sell. I love the sell job he does there. Um, JYD even gets race back in the ring and kind of knocks him around um, and knocks him outside the ring about a hundred times. I, I, I think you kind of mm-hmm. were talking about that at one point. Uh, and every time he does it, Gorilla says, Oh, 360, another 360. <laughs> so, he says 360 about 360 times. 60 times so that, yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes it makes sense. But um <laughs> um Heenan uh, uh constantly gets involved, tries mm-hmm. to get on the apron and distract the ref. He even distracts JYD at some point, and at, that actually ends up leading to the finish because he turns around and tries to go after um uh, after Heenan and uh turns around and uh he hits a belly to belly on him. And uh I don't know if JYD and Race weren't like 
together on the finish or what, but like he kind of kicks out at two, but doesn't <laughs> put his shoulders up. He does everything but what you're supposed to do to kick right. out of what the a pinfall. Fuck? So, um, and yeah, and then there's a whole. Well, uh, just what did you think of the match? Uh, we'll get into the post match after that, I guess. I thought it was fun watching JYD throw him around and watching mm-hmm. Harley bump around and Heenan getting involved. So, I mean, pretty fun for what it is. It's very short, so it's nothing you really have to suffer through. It's just kind of, you know, silliness. The finish slayed me. I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't know. I It was an opportunity, I thought, to do something, you know. I don't know. I guess JYD was supposed to lose um, based on the post-match, but, you know, Harley could have done a little bit more trickery. And, and look, JYD could have sold that a lot better <laughs> for that cover. That was yeah, that was really rough. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think he should have hit something a little more. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe Heenan holds his, holds his feet down or something like right, that. Right, something just, like, like that. Uh, but he just kind of flails the whole time and literally does the only thing you have to do to kick out of a pinfall in wrestling. Uh, that's the only thing he doesn't do. So, um, but yeah, he forgot. I, it, it, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it, but like you said, it's short enough to where it's like not offensive, but it's still mm-hmm. not very good at the same time. It's real basic. Um, uh, and you know, like this is this is a matchup of two guys who were like superstars back in mm-hmm. the territory days, like. Uh, I think I want to say JYD was in mid South and he killed it and he was like their main event star. Um, he was, you know, like their number one guy. And then race obviously was a multi-time NWA champion had made major matches with flair, really good matches with flair and all that mm-hmm. um, had been NWA champion a bunch of times. So this is kind of in the twilight of both of their careers. I think at this point Meltzer was kind of calling the JYD, the junk food dog instead of oh, the junkyard dog. So, mm-hmm. cause he was kind of had a little bit of a punch belly a little bit. So yeah, this is definitely the twilight of these two guys careers. So at their peak, it would have been cool. And I'm sure they had a match back in the day in the territories, but um, I, they would have been nice to see that match instead of what we got here. But yeah, um, it was like, it's like we both said, it was short, so it wasn't yeah. too offensive. But I, they, I wouldn't. They kind of made it like a cute little WrestleMania moment tribute, whatever. Which I guess is what they were going for. It just mm-hmm. did not work. It didn't really work out. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go more than about a star on it. I, I'm yeah. not even sure I would go like like any. I, I don't even sure I would go that high on some given days. But they have a little post match thing. It's supposed to be loser bows. So JYD lost. So he's supposed to bow to the king. They bring out like a just a metal folding chair instead of like a, a throne or something that a king would. You know, you normally sit on, so, um, but they have just have a random folding chair. Um, and Heenan kind of sells that the attack's going to happen before JYD even does anything. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, something's coming, but and then uh, JYD hits him with like the lamest chair shot in the history. Of oh, he like awful. barely jabs him in the shoulder. So, and then M- Mula just scurries, of course, because she's <laughs> terrified, but um. But yeah, the the whole post match was kind of lame, uh, along with how lame the match was. But yeah, what do you think? What do you think of the whole post match? Uh, yeah, angry. yeah, it was. It, if JYD would have put a little stank on that hit, like I think Mula could have hit better than that shit. Like mm-hmm. he could have turned it around and made it like a real, you know, fuck you. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like he <laughs> fucked it up just like he did the other thing. I don't know. Like I don't know what this man was. It on purpose. I don't. Is this? Does he not care? Does he fucking it up? I don't know. 
it seemed weird. Yeah, he it's... must have been the Michelob Ultra dog in the back in the back uh, backstage. So he yeah, had, maybe he, he was toasted. I, <laughs> I wouldn't blame him at all. I wouldn't blame him either. Big night, uh, one one of the biggest WrestleManias, definitely the biggest WrestleMania to that point. So. Um, yeah, but you know, uh, not the best match, uh, probably not the best match. Somebody will talk about eventually. Um, Mm. but, um, yeah, this is what we got stuck with. We'll put it this way. Um, but what do you have to plug tonight? Uh, Jenny? Well, uh, I just dropped a brand new, uh, GCW, uh, focused podcast called GC dub, a game changing podcast. So that basically just is a roundup show for, the promotion and we talk results me it is co-hosted by my friend and yours matt souza and uh we just do like a roundup of the month talk our favorite matches and our histories with the promotion so uh excited about that and uh, you can follow me on twitter at jenny position and um i'll link everything that i do there mm-hmm. what about you Logan? yeah yeah, uh, I had the seven months of danger pod on here on the no so network uh, we're going through the whole Dangerous Alliance uh, storyline from the beginning to the end. We're about halfway through at this point. Uh, we're headed towards Super Brawl uh, in 1992. So um, that, that, that's our next big pay-per-view event. Well, I think the next episode we'll be covering some TV and stuff like that. Um, and then I'm going to be, uh, I think Jake is going to take a little different spin on Ruthlessly Aggressive uh, going forward. And I'm going to be on the first month of shows oh, cool. uh, that, that he's going to do. So he's going to do like a guest per pay-per-view build so i'm okay. gonna be his first guest on that so um looking forward to that as well and then uh me and you have a documentary pod that uh, might be coming out pretty soon so um should be yes yeah that'll be fun <laughs> but yeah that, that that that's all coming up um but everybody thank you for listening uh whoever has the next match i'm sure they'll do a great job <laughs> um i'm sure it'll be way more exciting than what we just talked about but uh until next time we will see you then Well, hello, Cronoso podcast listeners. This is a new voice here on the Cronoso. This is Michael Cook, and this is my first time doing this. So wish me luck, and let's jump right into it. You know, right after we had JYD being a poor sport and a sore loser, we go live backstage to Vince McMahon, who's going to interview the champion Hulk Hogan. You know, he starts off talking about riding his Harley, Hopefully the bike and not race. And, and, you know, he just felt the fury as he ripped off his t-shirt while riding. Kind of scary, dangerous, but, you know, this is a guy who's fought people like King Kong Bunny and he's fighting Andre the Giant. So, you know, maybe it isn't so dangerous. Anyway, he goes on in the typical Hulk Hogan nonsense. Blah, 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 blah. Vitamins, prayers, blah, 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 blah. And then he gets to a part and something about if the dirty air doesn't get you, the politicians would. What does that mean and have anything to do with Andre the Giant? I don't know. All I know is that Vince McMahon was looking at him during the interview and just wondering how much cocaine did Hogan do before this? You know, I don't know either, but anyway, let's get on to our match. And right now, it is the Rougeau brothers. They're not quite fabulous yet, but, you know, the time will come. They are in the ring, and then they cut backstage to mean by God Gene, and he is standing there with the Dream Team, 
Johnny Valiant and Dino Bravo, everyone's favorite. But, you know, they're just hogging all the spotlight. And, and poor, poor Greg Valentine, he is just looking back, trying to figure out what the heck, you know, how do I get in this? I'm the one that's in the match. But anyway, you just see his head popping out, and, you know, he just doesn't get to say anything because Valiant and Dino Bravo just take over, and it's just spouting BS. I mean, I, I don't know. Something about scrambled eggs. I mean, maybe it was foreshadowing Fraser's theme. I don't know. Then he spouts up some more stuff. You know, Bravo spots some stuff, and whatever. No one can understand. If anyone can say that whole interview by heart, let me know. Anyway, let's get out as they come down to the ring. I mean, it's looking like it's a six-man tag, you know, but, you know, there's so many people down there, and... Gorilla wants to know, why are there so many people? And Jesse just tells him they're all advisors. You know, they spend a moment um, marveling at Valentine's new robe. Gorilla says it looks like one of Jesse's, but he says he only grows feather boas on the farm. And now we have Brutus Beefcake and Ramon start for some reason. And Beefcake just has this ridiculous-looking mullet. I mean, I would say if we had the, the most 80s look... With that mullet, Beefcake has it. You know, and they go back and forth, and, and of course, uh, Rousseau's start with a fabulous atomic drop. And, you know, then there's some agile reversals by Raymond, followed by a nice double drop kick by both Rousseau's. Jock com comes in and starts trading forearms with Valentine before tagging out to Raymond. Ray hits a crossbody for a two count. Jock's come back, but he misses a crossbody of his own from the second turnbuckle, and the Dream Team begin working him over for a little bit. Bruce holds him up in a press slam position while Valentine comes off the top with a forearm. At this point, Bobby Heenan comes to join the commentary for match, and he brags that he's two for two tonight. But, um, uh, I think his uh, numbers are wrong, because I have him at one, one, and one, but, you know, it's Bobby Heenan logic. Yeah. But, meanwhile, Valentine gets on a figure four, but Jacques gets to the rope. Valentine then goes for a power driver, gets back up over for his trouble. Raymond tags in and gets a slipper hold. Beefcake tends to jump off the top rope onto Ray, but he accidentally hits Valentine instead. Then the Rougeos hit a double-team move off the top rope that basically is a flying, cro flying crotch to the face, which is one of my favorite uh, finishing moves by tag teams of that era. Raymond goes for the jackknife pin, but the ref is busy getting Jacques out of the ring. So breathe. Dino Bravo sees the opportunity to dive onto Raymond. Valentine then pins for the one, two, three. And the Dream Team wins. However, a little strange after the match. Because, you know, Valentine, Johnny Valiant, and Dino Bravo get in the little cart and go away and just leave poor, poor Brutus right, you know, all there, all by himself. You know, I don't know why they would have booked it this way, because it's basically the end of the Dream Team. I don't know, and, you know, pretty soon we, you know, as you'll see late, you know, later on, there's some big plans for Brutus the fucking blank beefcake. Anyway, I give this match about a star and a half, you know, just your typical thing, you know, it's basically a way to, you know, turn Brutus' face, you know, and start the new dream team, but as we all know, anything with the word new can't be good. 
Oh, guess who's back? Back again. Hey, Cronoso Monthly, it's Johnny D'Amato here. And I'm following the illustrious uh, Mikey Cuck with a beautiful uh, uh, recap of the Dream Team versus the Rougeos match. And at the end of that match, uh, very uh, peculiar happenings. Uh, although the Dream Team won the match, once again, just like WrestleMania 2, it looks like it was a nightmare for the Dream Team as they had a little issue there with the Dino Bravo interfering and uh, Brutus didn't like that and uh, they left Brutus in the ring uh, hanging. And then, and uh, Bravo and uh, the Hammer and Johnny V went off on the card uh, and uh, it looks like uh, uh, Brutus uh, is changing his ways there. There was a... Uh, there was a match in the uh, in the syndicated uh, show uh, a couple weeks before in the build-up to uh, Mania where there was a six-man where the Dream Team teamed up with uh, Adrian Adonis and uh, accidentally uh, uh, Brutus uh, switched with his opponent in the corner and Adrian was was trying to trying to cut some hair and he didn't realize it was Brutus and uh, and he wound up uh, cutting a little Brutus's hair so Brutus got mad with that and. Uh, and then uh, leading to this uh, match with the Dream Team where he broke up and uh, they they won the match. But it, it looks like that's the last match for uh, the Dream Team of uh, Brutus and the Hammer. Which leads into this match, which is uh, Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper's retirement match versus the adorable Adrian Adonis and uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, my all-time favorite. Uh, allow me to jerk it a little uh, as I go over... Roddy's illustrious uh, career in the uh, WWF. Uh, of course, he came from Crockett and uh, had some uh, Mid-Atlantic uh, classics uh, for many years that you could check out on the uh, on the Cock uh, Network. Uh, we we won't go over it to today, but uh, in '83, uh, kind of wound down with the match versus the Hammer at a uh, Starcade '83, the uh, the dog collar match, which is uh, just a classic. If if you haven't seen it, uh, I don't know what you're doing with your life, and uh, you're listening to the wrong uh, podcast. Uh, because you're probably uh, too cool for wrestling or whatever. But anyway, check it out. That's, uh, you know, Piper and the Hammer. And, and, and after that, uh, Piper left Crockett to, to go to New York, as they say. Uh, Vince uh, shelled out the money. And uh, and Piper made his way in. Uh, 84, uh, debuting as a, as a manager for uh, Dr. D, David Schultz, and Big John Studd and Orndorff. He's kind of easing his way in. Uh, uh, first, he, when he came in, he had some injuries. And then eventually he made his debut as a wrestler and uh, and, and it showed, although he wasn't uh, the larger-than-life character, all, all he had was a big mouth and a, and a skirt, but uh, he made it work uh, more than more than anyone and he, he helped uh, make the WWF explode at this time uh, with the birth of uh, Piper's Pit, just uh, an, an iconic, uh, epic uh, interview uh, uh, segment uh, that everybody looked forward to every sh- every show. And uh, one of the first um, major uh, Piper's Pit moments was was when he punked out poor Frankie Williams uh, from a Columbus, Ohio. And uh, just when you think he got all the answers, I changed the questions. Just uh, a beautiful uh, three minutes of of work there. Just a classic wrestling moment, uh, punking out Frankie Williams. And then, of course, the the moment that everybody still remembers. Uh, It happened in 1984. It's 2022. 38 years, whatever years later, when he cracked a, a snooker over the head with the uh, coconut. And uh, j- just an amazing, even people that know very little about wrestling, they, they know about the time where where Piper cracked the snooker with the coconut. And then uh, as we go into late 84, 85, he starts uh, 
uh, messing with the big we're getting into the main event picture the rock and wrestling with cindy lauper and and hulk and mr t and uh, he made a uh, wrestlemania one he helped make wrestlemania one what a, a classic and uh, there's no wrestlemania without the hot rod roddy roddy piper and uh, after WrestleMania, he had a, a classic feud with uh, Paul Landorf, although it was kind of a 50-50 feud, and uh, and and both guys uh, separated, not, really not getting any any better. Towards the end of uh, 85, uh, 86, he, he had an Eastern uh, a feud with uh, Bruno, which is pretty much uh, the only matches were in Boston Garden, epic matches. There was a classic uh, a pit segment in uh, the Madison Square Garden, but the matches themselves... Uh, with Bruno, were in the Boston Garden, uh, a, a cage match you can find on the network, which is great. Uh, still uh, brought the best out of Bruno, uh, even at an advanced age. And uh, and Piper still had it, but uh, kind of meandering as we go into WrestleMania two, with the feud with uh, they bringing it back with Mr. T, the and the the boxing uh, feud a little disappointing, and uh, and and you could tell towards the end of the uh, boxing match, uh, which is horrific. Uh, I don't recommend. Uh, uh, seeking that out if if you were uh, going back in history uh, on the peacock, but at, but the one one thing uh, you'll notice at the end of the match where fans were chanting Roddy Roddy, and that was the last we we would see of Piper as a heel, as uh, as the fans just uh, uh, turned him, and then then Roddy took off for a while, and and then he comes back uh, at the end of '86, uh, more like the end of the summer '86. And he comes back to reclaim his pit, and he noticed it's changed into the uh, flower shop with adorable Adrian Adonis, and uh, um, who uh, the the segment is uh, is noteworthy because uh, that that's really where the uh, Orndorff heel, Paul Orndorff uh, turning uh, heel on uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, was kind of souped up by Adonis in the, a lot of flower shop segments. So in the uh, summer of '86, uh, it was notorious for that. But Roddy came back, and uh, he didn't like what was going on. Uh, AC uh, had the pink uh, cowboy hat, and uh, he said uh, it was a case of AC Ducey, of course, uh, and uh, with Adrian, a flamboyant uh, character. Roddy played up the uh, homophobia, uh, which was, you know, remember 1986, a lot different times, uh, whether you approve or not. Uh, that 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 was uh, where it was going at the time, and uh, and they embarks on this feud with uh, Adrian Adonis as he's attacked in the. Uh, Flower Shop slash Piper's Pit by Morocco and Orton. A vicious beatdown, um, beating down uh, Piper's knee and, uh, and, and Piper's uh, a face, uh, number two, right behind Hogan. Uh, for a while, some would argue that he was more popular than Hogan uh, at this time as, as he launched into a few to, uh, matches with Morocco, Orton, and, and Adrian. And, uh, and and Piper, as as a face, uh, really uh, displayed a lot of vulnerability uh, in this feud with Adonis. Uh, he he allowed the, he allowed that big beat beat down to to get his uh, face turn started, and, and to to ramp up the feud with with Adonis. And also, you know, a big Saturday night's main event. He he got counted out, where where Adonis sprayed him in the eye. Another pit segment where uh, Jimmy Hart. Uh, got in his face and and he, and he went to attack Jimmy Hart and uh, Adonis came back uh, out of nowhere. Adonis had left for a while, a little dispute, and and then he came back out of nowhere and put Piper to sleep uh, to to really ramp up this feud. Excellent feud as we get into WrestleMania three. Uh, the the match was set, and then uh, about a month uh, before, there's a on the syndicated on the uh, championship wrestling or, or the superstars of wrestling at the time. 
uh, me and Gene uh, is interviewing Roddy Piper, and he said, uh, Roddy, there's been rumors of your retirement. And Roddy says, I'm going to eliminate all doubt. I am retiring, and uh, WrestleMania three will be my last match. And and uh, me as a you know my favorite wrestler, very heartbroken. I was like, hey, I never heard of any of these rumors. I wasn't uh, hip to the uh, Big Dave, uh, Dave the Rave Meltzer uh, at the time. I, I didn't have the scoops uh, like we do now, where everybody knows everything before it even happens. So I was a little disappointed, and uh, that that Roddy was uh, hanging it up. Uh, he's at, at a young age, but uh, eventually uh, this match was uh, turned into a a haircut match where the loser would get his head shaved. So a, a lot of hype uh, on this match. Uh, I would say the third most anticipated match, uh, behind, obviously behind the Hogan Andre and uh, Savage Steamboat. Or, or, or some even even look to this uh, more than uh, Savage Steamboat. Uh, just uh, uh, a, a little sad, but uh, also excited, uh, anticipating what would happen. Uh, would Roddy actually get his head? Maybe, uh, no, there were rumors that he was going off to a... Uh, to a movie and and maybe for for the part uh, he would be playing uh, a, you know somebody who's bald uh, so there was still some uncertainty going into to this match and uh and uh, let's just get to it here is uh we have the uh, video review of the feud which uh, ex ex excellently broke it down from the uh, flower shop beatdown to to all the other shenanigans with Adrian and uh, Jimmy Hart and uh, and and then we go to the uh, entrance, and uh, Adrian and Jimmy Hart uh, get the great heel caught entrance, and uh, and Adrian's got got a huge uh, set of hedge clippers, uh, really putting over the uh, haircut angle in this match excellently. And then you hear the bagpipes playing, and just an epic pop, and uh, and and Piper uh, he, he refused to. Uh, go on the, on the cart that uh, everybody was using to go to the ring. He, he just does this ep- excellent takes in the moment, does a, does an, a jogging entrance to the ring as, as the crowd is going bananas. Uh, just, just one of the biggest pops of the night, right on par with, uh, you know, with Hogan and Andre and, and, uh, and Steamboat Savage. Uh, Piper was right, right on par as, as, far as, the, uh, as far as the pop. And, and then he gets into the ring and he just, he just looks at the crowd and and really just takes it in and you you can see just the happiness and, and elation on his face the and, and that he really embraced the 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 crowd loving him and uh Gorilla and Jesse uh, on commentary really getting the haircut angle over they're showing the uh, the clippers and the all the equipment at ringside and uh how Adrian's got the big uh, hedge cutters uh and and Adrian also gave gave an, a a little inset nice inset promo before before the match uh, talking about Clipper Claude a, a really manic Adrian just just, uh, just racking the uh, the Clippers back and forth uh, really good there so so right away they get into it just a frantic brawl and uh, you're not gonna see uh, too many uh, wrist locks or or uh, headlocks and uh, not much leg work in here as as Roddy takes off his belt and starts whipping Adrian. He gets distracted by uh, Jimmy Hart, and then uh, and then Adrian uh, gets the belt and start and starts whipping Roddy, and of course Gorilla and Jesse, you know, get into a, a banter over the use of the belt, and and, uh, and Jimmy Hart is just all up in this bumping like crazy for Piper. Jimmy Hart, it might even be the MVP of, the, of this match, just uh, getting in Roddy's face every two seconds, but but also. You know, Showing his ass, uh, doing doing some epic bumps, uh, and ma- making Roddy look like Superman all over the place. 
uh, where my favorite part was one of my favorite parts of when Roddy lifted him off the top rope and threw him right onto Adrian. And Adrian, looking spl- with his splendid purple tights and his glorious pink tits, just uh, bumping all around, uh, it was quite a scene. Uh, just glorious there. And uh, uh, the ref is distracting, and then Jimmy sprays Piper in the eyes. And uh, Adrian goes for the goodnight Irene, the big sleeper, with Adrian's fat arms uh, really sinking it in. And uh, the, the crowd just throughout all this, just going bananas, staying hot through every little, every little move. And, and uh, during this, this sleeper, you could, you could even sense some panic in, in the crowd. But of course, uh, he, Adrian, not too bright. He, he celebrates a, a little early. Uh, the, the ref didn't really check the Roddy's arms. And, and Adrian lets go, of the, uh, lets go of the sleeper holding and starts celebrating with Jimmy Hart and the Clippers. And, and they're getting ready to, uh, to, to put that haircut on Roddy. And then all of a sudden, Brutus who appears uh, out of nowhere and starts reviving Piper, starts, starts slapping him on the back, uh, reviving him. You know, a really quick uh, turn from Brutus, who, who just wrestled as he healed the match before. But uh, as I explained earlier, with all the shenanigans, it, it, it was obvious that, uh, that, that Brutus was going to have a change of ways. And, uh, and, the, and the crowd are really behind this. as He revives Piper, and then Piper just gets up and knocks Jimmy Hart out of the ring. And then, then Adrian does a you know a little Three Stooges movie. He has the Clippers, and, and he goes to hit uh, Roddy and Roddy ducks, and and of course, Adrian the the, the Clippers bounce off the ropes, and uh, and Adrian knocks himself with the head and head in, and you know a move taken right out of uh, the Three Stooges uh, short, uh, Ake and My Steak, uh, one of the uh, classic Three Stooges shorts. Uh, you could Google that. That was an actual uh, name of one of it. So you could check me on that. Uh, I'm probably the only one that knows that. Uh, for you, you Three Stooges fans, uh, hit me up on Twitter. We could talk about some classic episodes. But anyway, uh, after that, uh, Roddy sinks in the sleeper, and the crowd just goes bananas. I, I can't reiterate it again. Same level as uh, as Hogan, Andre, Savage, Steve Crowd going bananas. Huge pop uh, for, the, for the sleeper hold. The ref checks once, twice, three times. Adrian is down. When the bell rings and Roddy is announced as the, as the winner, just continued madness. Everybody's celebrating. And then uh, here comes uh, Brutus getting ready to give uh, Adrian one of the worst haircuts i ever seen. Adrian was all, his hair was all sweaty. Clippers weren't working. They barely really cut, a, cut any hair. It was just uh, awful. Uh, they didn't really plan that part out. Uh, I don't know if it was a malfunction with the quick clippers or too much sweat or, or something uh, Really bad uh, haircut there, but but anyway, uh, the, anyway, they uh, Roddy brings the big uh, huge mirror in, and they revive Adrian, and uh, and he he takes a look in the mirror, and, and Adrian freaks out and uh, and punches the mirror, and then he tries to go after after Roddy, and Roddy just keeps ducking, and and, and Adrian keeps falling and doing doing more stooges bumps, and he he can't get a hold of him, he's just frustrated, and he gets out of there. And Jimmy does a good job of, uh, you know, covering his hair as they, as they run away. Re- really, uh, you know, amazing heel work there. It, it was a shame that uh, after this, the uh, that they really built a, a good uh, a future feud between Adrian and uh, Brutus. But uh, unfortunately, after that, Adrian had some issues and uh, left the company. So the the feud never uh, took off uh, from there. Br- Brutus had to deal, had to venture off into uh, with Johnny V and uh, the Hammer. Uh, 
as we see. So Fink announces Roddy Piper as the winner. Another huge pop. Roddy kisses Fink on the uh, on the head, and then a fan gets in the ring. A fan with a flannel shirt gets in the ring and congratulates Roddy. R- Roddy is very very gracious. He slaps him five, and then also in a quick camera cut because uh, the the camera had to pan away from the fan getting the uh, probably the ever loving crap beaten out of him by security. Uh, amazing. I, I wonder what would have happened. I'd, I'd love to talk to that fan or if, if anybody got a. Got, got some words for him, how, how he was able to get into the ring at, at that epic moment. And then after that, Roddy steps out of the ring and he's greeted by uh, Blackjack Lanza, Pat Patterson, and Arnold Skolin. They give him a real congratulation uh, to, to, to show that it was a, l- a little something extra for this uh, retirement match. And then Roddy takes one uh, victory lap. He does get on the cart, a triumphant ride on the cart, as, as the fans just, just continue to go banana, as uh, being that Pat Patterson was there give a little tribute to him so just uh, a a, gr- a great moment of, of course for the uh, the matchwork and all that you know whatever the fuck stars you want to give it to it's it's not a classic but for entertainment purposes and uh, for emotion and everything uh, you give it all the stars in the world and uh, a little spoiler alert we will see uh, Piper wrestle again it wasn't his last match uh, which uh, I was very sad at the time and I, I thought it was but uh it, it didn't turn out to be that way. So uh, that, down the road, uh, I'll be able to gush more on the great hot rod. Although uh, l- later years, uh, the performance isn't isn't great. This might have been the peak, uh, especially for me. Uh, just an epic performance. Uh, so that's it. Johnny D'Amato, Cronoso Monthly. Talk to you soon. Peace. Hello, this is Tim Slopka for Cronoso Monthly, WrestleMania 3. Uh, I am got the privilege of saying the Hart Foundation and Danny Davis versus the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. As the last match ends, we see Hot Rod leaving the squared circle for the last time. And right before the match, we get a special introduction of Jesse the Body Ventura. Huge pop, pop for him. Uh, Finkel announces him that the man who, inte- who, says, who tells it like it is uh, and really gets a huge pop and a random ovation, a, a kind of a trope of WrestleMania's is the Jesse Ventura introduction. They mentioned how Predator's coming out soon. So as we kind of do that, we get a real changing of the guard here as we flip to WrestleMania. The the, the sun is setting, so the, the Silver Dome is covered in kind of like a blackish, uh, rather than being like a white see-through. It really starts getting darker in this match. You know, this match and kind of the Tito Santana, or the Macho Man match is where we really notice it before the Hogan match where it's pretty, really dark. So we kind of change of guard after the Roddy Piper match. We kind of get a random, uh, as Jesse's in the ring, we also get the random announcing pair of Mary Hart, Bob Euchre, and Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, so they announce the Hart Foundation and Danny Davis after they do Jesse and massive booze for, for that team. Uh, they're with Jimmy the Mouth of the South. And after that, they they cut away to a pre, pre-match promo with the, the four of them. The only one who talks during the match is, or during the promo is is. Uh, Jimmy Hart, so he kind of does all the talking for them. Kind of a Anvil's not the best talker. Brett's still kind of young, and you know Danny Davis isn't there either. Uh, they mentioned Danny Davis is suspended for life plus ten years. It's crazy how in by WrestleMania five he's refereeing matches, so that must have not been much of a suspension by the the dope that is Jack Tunney. Uh, they also throw a great storyline here how that you know Danny Davis not only cost the Bulldogs their title, but also cost the Tito Santana is his title, you know, kind of something they added after the fact, but a kind of great timing by them, especially as the intercontinental title match is coming up shortly with Macho Man in it. Uh, Mary Hart also has to mention that she's not related to the Hearts or, or Jimmy Hart. So kind of funny line from her there. 
then we get the British Bulldogs, huge pop with them coming out together with Tito Santana. Tito Santana, of course, has no music, but I thought he got a good pop when they announced him, and it was furious throughout this match. Uh, going through the match, I'm not going to go move my move, but you know, one thing you kind of notice is Brett already started to have his five moves of doom. Um, he kind of does the elbow drop with the rare miss, but he also does the turnbuckle slot. So Brett's starting to get his arsenal. Davy Boy looks really, really solid in this match. And uh, Tito's, or I should say Dynamite Kid, is kind of on the way down. You can see he's the least of anyone in the ring of the action. Uh, it just doesn't have the smoothness that Davy Boy does. Uh, the Heart Foundation take control of most of this match. They uh, do a lot of moves where they throw a guy, Tito or, or Bulldog or Dynamite into the corner. Danny Davis has got some cheap shots. Mary Hart even mocks that the Hart Foundation wear pink and ask if they work out during there. Uh, you know, Danny Davis and Mark Mary Hart keep saying that she wants to see Danny Davis. Massive heat on the guy every time uh, he's kind of double teaming. Finally, he comes in, does one kick, does a great strut, kind of like a double J type strut, and then right out. Classic heel, you know, Bobby Heenan, uh, dangerous Danny Davis type move there. The kind of picky little guy coming in, getting the quick kicks, and then right outs. Um, the match kind of churns once Tino Santana gets the hot tag. He comes in with a ton of fire, uh, hits his, his elbow drop, but then kind of a pinfall gets broken up by Anvil, who does this twice in the match. Uh, and then there's a hot tag to to Bulldog as well, so kind of two hot tags during this match. Uh, Bulldog looks amazing here. Any offense on Danny Davis is, is massively over. Uh, Bulldog does a dangerous, uh, dangerous pile driver on Danny Davis. Um, and then a great power slam. Davis really sells it with both of them bouncing off the mat as they hit it. Of course, this leads to a, uh, another anvil breakup. So if you think about it, he breaks up both Tito Santana's figure four and Tito San and uh, Bulldog's power slam. So anvil really kind of the cheap heel move in this, really coming over his heels. Uh, at this point, everything breaks down. We get all six men in the ring. Uh, chaos ensues. The ref has no control over it. Uh, as it kind of happens, Bulldog's on the mat. Danny Davis grabs the megaphone from uh, Jimmy Hart and smacks Bulldog over the head. For a one, two, three. The ref kind of misses the pin. Uh, hey, Davis is screaming for him to come over, pinning, actually doing the pin himself. Uh, so I'm not sure if the ref was supposed to do it or if Danny Davis was kind of doing it to kind of show that he was the ref as well. But it, it was a little sloppy there. Uh, ref does a three count. Danny Davis kind of crawls out of the ring as a beaten man, but gets the victory. Uh, you know, this, of course, is a non title match. So Tito and Bulldogs get the loss. It kind of looks like a cheap loss. Uh, Mary Hart doesn't like it either. I thought all the way as we as we leave on the carts, which you know WrestleMania three, great great carts. Bulldog does a great job where they cut back to him after they show the highlights, and he's still holding the head injury. Great job by Bulldog. You know would have been easy just taking the crowd, you know not really sell the 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 uh, the shot from the megaphone, but he really sold that 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 uh, that knockout from Danny Davis really well. Uh, so a really fun match. Uh, you know, kind of a midpoint of the, the crowd. Like I said, it's kind of a changing the crowd after the highlights of Rowdy Piper. Now we're getting into the deep feuds uh, and kind of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the next match, but kind of letting the heels kind of get over before, you know, the next pick me up. So I think great placement in the card uh, here for this match. You you make Danny Davis, who's just a hateable heel, lead up to, you know, the finally someone's going to get over him in the summer, hopefully. And also you kind of keep the feud of the Bulldogs and Hart Foundation going along. So really enjoyable match. A lot of fun, um, and also kind of, you know, a great heel in Danny Davis over the next couple, that's a year and a half that he really has longevity here. So fun stuff overall. Uh, from that, we then end up with the Hulk Hogan. Uh, we get we get off to Andre interview talking about the Hulk Hogan and Andre match. So again, kind of timeline, this is a great spot to kind of 
highlight match, but also kind of change the guard to, okay, we're, we're through some of the early stuff, we're through the fun stuff, now we're getting into the serious stuff. Um, and we go on. So I'm, as I mentioned, I'm Tim Slomka on the North South Connection. Every other Tuesday with my buddy JP, we do New Gen on a Mission. We're working our way through Brennan Sean Survivor Series 92 to Brennan Sean Survivor Series 97. Uh, right now, we're about to get into Royal Rumble 1994, the first pay-per-view I ever saw live. An amazing, an amazing pay-per-view. Um, an amazing, amazing pay-per-view um, that JT was fortunate enough to be at. So really excited for that one. But join us. We do Superstars and Raws. Usually two two Superstars and two, two Raws in a week. And it's a great time. So hope you guys can join us. There's a ton of other great shows on Rochelle Connection, so listen, late review, and uh, look forward to seeing you next month as we we go through the fallout from WrestleMania 3. Thanks a lot. No So Network. It's bigger. It's badder. It's better. It's Johnny C talking about WrestleMania 3. We're backstage from our previous encounter, and Mean Gene Okerlund is with Bobby the Brain Heenan in the ninth wonder of the world. Well, actually, Andre the Giant, you're only the eighth wonder of the world. I would imagine the ninth wonder of the world will be a lovely lady who does not resemble Conan the Barbarian. Uh, but Bobby the Brain Heenan, let's hear what you have to say about tonight's encounter. Now, folks, despite my, despite, despite my verbal flub, Gene is here with Bobby and Andre. Bobby is, you know what, I'm not going to describe Bobby the Brain Heenan's outfit. I'm going to leave that to the man, Aaron D. Justice, okay? He's going to take care of that later tonight. He calls, however, Andre the Giant the most extraordinary athlete of all time. And he's never elected to challenge for the World Wrestling Federation Championship until now. For 15 years, this man was undefeated. Hulk Hogan has never met a man like Andre. The clock is ticking, ticking in their direction. Hulkamania is dead. Vegas has picked Andre. The world has picked Andre. I know how you're feeling, Hogan. I've got butterflies, too. I'm ready to go out there, because I'm going to be managing the champ. Hey, you had a good run. Three years is not bad. Andre the Giant says nothing. And that's the way, aha, uh -huh, aha, uh -huh, I like it. Gorilla, Jesse, let's get back to you and calling the action. Immediately, folks, you know I'm happy because Gorilla Monsoon calls this a happening. And it looks like, to me anyway, to mine eyes, dusk is starting to set here in suburban Detroit, Michigan, as we're kind of in a scenario where there's light and not light, looking into the ring, but it's, it's amazing. Currently in the ring, the Doctor of Style Slick, he proclaims into the camera, I'm the prettiest man in the world today, baby. People love me. And he represents the natural Hacksaw Butch Reed. Yay. Let me just pause. Johnny C is very excited to be covering this particular matchup. End quote. A big ovation for some music that starts. Oh, look at that. The Birdman's on his way, Jess. And yes, sure enough, here he comes in his own private mechanized variant of the squared circle. Coco, beware with Frankie. So your old pal Johnny C pulled Coco Beware versus the natural Butch Reed out of the old hat there. Uh, hey, here's a trivia note that no one else has probably told you. On this week's, or month's, excuse me, episode of Cronoso Daily, uh, we all pulled the matches out of a hat, and it was the same hat 
that they used at Starcade 1997 to pull the referee for the main event. So we all have a little bit of Nick Patrick Lice living inside of us. Now, as the Birdman's making his way down to the ring, Jesse the Body Ventura makes a statement about Coco's mascot, Frankie. You know, Frankie'd make a good soup, monsoon, soon, 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 soon. Pause. Now, I was curious. Would Frankie make a delicious soup? Would the world agree with this statement? We know that Vegas believes that Andre will win, and the world believes that Andre will win, but will they agree on some bird soup? Now, errantly, ladies and gentlemen, I thought Frankie was a parakeet. And I was quickly corrected when Google confirmed that he was not. But wait a minute, Johnny C, you're smarter than this. You love cereal. You love a unique blend of colorful O's that are indeed a part of a balanced breakfast. I love Fruit Loops. They help my fruit booty look beautiful. So is Frankie a toucan? No, no he's not. According to Coco Beware's Wikipedia, Frankie is a macaw. Oh, no, no, no. Not a man cow. Free speech. He's a macaw. Now, a macaw is indigenous to South America and indeed a variation of the parrot. So, parrot. That, I probably should have known that, but it, it took me this far to realize that it's a parrot because I had to know what kind of bird this was to see if it makes a delicious soup. Now, in my research, I learned that birds often make their own soup. And now, don't get me wrong, by that statement, I don't mean that they're going to suddenly open up a delicious but very strictly run eatery in New York City. What I'm saying is that birds often place their food pellets into a source of water to soften their food. And the humans refer to this as bird soup. And so, to the original point, was Jesse the Body Ventura simply using his way with words to create a delicious pun? Creatively blending together the common habits of Coco's beloved partner, with the loving liquid that has made its way to the cornerstone of many a delicious American cuisine, that being soup, the world may never know. Jesse the Body Ventura lets Gorilla Monsoon know that Gorilla is lucky to be seated next to a future movie star, and Gorilla agrees. Coco Beware has the crowd on fire. He's excitement personified, Jess. You could say that again, Monsoon. This is a match that a friend of mine, Barry Blaustein, was really excited over. Oh, really? Yeah, good friend of mine. He said this was the match he was waiting for. The natural Butch Reed versus Coco Beware. Buckwheat. Pause. Casual racism by Jesse the Body Ventura. Or is there more to this story? Well, folks... Prepare to have your mind blown as I have once again conducted a little bit of internet research. Now, I think that we all know Barry Blaustein from the beloved film Beyond the Mat. I think that's safe to say. Even if you've never been booked to watch Beyond the Mat, as a wrestling fan, you're at least aware of it as he's the writer, director, narrator, etc., etc. However, outside of our dark basements, Barry Blaustein is best known for being a writer 
on Saturday Night Live as well as being a writer for many hit films. And despite being a rather pale, I'm assuming Jewish man, Barry seems to have a very unique writing niche. The dude can write the hell out of an Eddie Murphy joint. Now listen to this, okay? Barry Blaustein, Jesse the Body Ventura's good friend who's excited for this one particular match, wrote the hit films Coming to America, Boomerang, The Nutty Professor, The Clumps, Nutty Professor 2, and Coming to, with a number, America, the sequel that came out during the pandemic to Coming to America. But most importantly, to this ill-advised Jesse the Body Ventura statement in 1987 at WrestleMania 3, relevant to this conversation, Barry Blaustein created the buckwheat caricature used by Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live, and I don't know if you've heard the news or not, but apparently Buckwheat has been shot! And that is why Barry Blaustein is excited for this match. As Barry seems to have taken up the mantle of the white man's voice for black America in the 1980s, and thusly explaining the buckwheat comment. Doesn't really explain away the casual racism by a Jesse the Body Ventura, but my time is limited, so we must move on. Great shot of Gorilla and Jesse up in the crow's nest, speaking of birds. Jesse is rocking back and forth, though, like he's got the shakes. Oh, Gorilla, I'm walking on sunshine. Just let me walk on sunshine. But Jesse does promote the fact that he's wearing the WrestleMania 3 t-shirt. I've spoken of the Tommy Dreamer t-shirt rule of professional wrestling. Jesse the Body Ventura is the only exception. He's the only man allowed to wear the shirt of a pay-per-view on which he is appearing because he flexes and he makes it look good. The Doctor of Style Slick demands that the Fink not introduce Coco Beware when he enters the ring, but the Fink still does. Coco Beware does his little bird shimmy. It makes the birds here in Detroit squawk. You know, the B stands for Buckwheat Monsoon. It does. You know, he's got a brother, too, named Stymie. He wears a derby. <laughs> oh, Jess, you little rascal. The bell rings and we are underway for a bout of speed versus strength. Coco is rocking a white glove on his right hand. What's with that glove, Gorilla? I mean, Michael Jackson wears a glove, but not buckwheat. Uh, I believe it's heavily taped, Jess. Well, Jack Tunney better look into it. You know, there's a lot of guys wearing a lot of stuff in the World Wrestling Federation today. The natural Butch Reed, though, with a shot to the breadbasket. And the natural is in control. But Coco kicks it into next gear via a series of reversals that leads to a bird kick from the Cokester and a big cartwheel celebration for all the kidsters watching with glee. The natural Butch Reed gets back into the ring with Coco in control with his own shot to the breadbasket. Well, you reap what you sow. Now, I might be reading too much into this, but at this point in the contest, the natural appears unable to naturally pull enough oxygen from the dome here in Detroit to wrestle at a normal pace. Or, in more plain English, the dude is blown the fuck up. But, after Coco drops his head for a back body drop, the natural is in control with your standard kick. 
a thumb to the throat by the evil Reedster, as Gorilla Monsoon claims that Frankie has a look of concern as he is at this moment aware that Coco is in trouble. Jesse, though, loves what he's seeing from the natural. You know, dirty wrestling, smart wrestling, it's winning wrestling. You know, Gorilla, you pulled that same tactic against Jack Dempsey in 26. A hip block by Coco Beware. The Birdman winds up with fists of fire and fury. Lefts and rights abound. Shades of the Wildman, Mark Marrow. Dropkick and a beauty. One, two, no. Small package by Coco. One, two, no. Coco ducks a clothesline, hits a high crossbody, but oh no, a momentum-based reversal by Reed. One, two, he got him, Monsoon, and look at that, he had a handful of tights when I smarts wrestling. So yes, the natural Butch Reed reverses a Coco be aware, flying crossbody for the one, two, three. Post-match, Coco beware, the babyface, a Attacks the Doctor of Style Slick and the Natural Butch Reed. But when Coco pays too much attention to the natural, the Slickster unloads from behind with the cane of vengeance. Wait a minute, who's that? It's Tito Santana! Oh, where did Chico come from, Monsoon? Tito Santana beats the hell out of the Slickster and rips off the gentleman's clothes potentially ruining the Slickster's Detroit-based antics for the evening. You know, Chico should be fined and suspended. It's that Latin temper of his, Monsoon. The Slickster runs away a broken man, as Chico and Coco hit a double drop kick to send Reed backstage, albeit with the largest portion of tonight's winner's purse. The two youngsters dance with Frankie and ride off to their eventual place in the WWF slash E Hall of Fame. The match, I would say, is about half a star, if I'm being nice. The information about Bird Soup and Barry Blaustein and Easy Five, and you're very fucking welcome. <sighs> well, folks, it just goes to show that even on a show this legendary, you can make uh, fucking something out of something that's good. Whatever that cliche is. You can turn something or nothing into something. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. But uh, for real, I love just being a part of the No So Project for this particular show as it's a legendary fucking show. And don't go anywhere because up next is one of two that you came for. But before I go, I just want to let everybody know that they can catch me and my business partner extraordinaire, don't call me Big E Keith Langston, okay? On the Multiverse of Fabulousness, the show where we traverse the multiverse for pop culture variants, usually revolving around the world of professional wrestling, where back in January, you could see us live via YouTube or listen to us on your favorite pod device, uh, where we booked a pop culture Royal Rumble featuring such contestants as uh, Hollywood from Mannequin, Ray Skywalker, and that goddamn octopus man, Dr. Otto Octavius. And if you don't get that joke, you better listen to the show before YouTube makes us take it down for making fun of good old JR hating on Dr. Otto Octavius. Uh, and check out my personal podcast feed, the new TNN, uh, where I released a six-hour podcast about the movie Batman and Robin. You're welcome, America. I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you.
Hello, everyone, on the Cronoso Monthly of the North-South Connection. This is Keith Langston here, and I have the privilege, if I may, uh, to bring to you what I consider to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, matches in WrestleMania history. And that, of course, is the Intercontinental title match between Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and the champion Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, with both Georgie Animal Steel and Miss Elizabeth, respectively, in their corners. Uh, as we begin on this matchup here, we're going to go ahead and take a look at the history of the history of Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat going all the way back to November of 86, where Savage was the defending champion and the working defending champion uh, wrestling Ricky Steamboat on, I believe, an episode of wrestling on a wrestling challenge or it was on. Superstars, All American, whatever show it was, I forget what the date, what the monthly, sh the weekly show was that it, that Savage was defending the championship. But of course, breaking the larynx of Ricky Steamboat first by giving him the uh, double axe handle drop onto the guardrail, and then of course hitting him with the ring bell, ring bell. And um, some of the vignettes that we see after that, or at least the the update update segments here by me and Gene, is you know me and Gene Oakland interviewing uh, Ricky Steamboat's doctor who looks like the typical 80s porn star with his porn stash, uh, talking about the recovery of Ricky Steamboat, and just an amazing recovery of the man, the myth, the legend. So what we kind of have here is this highlight reel, almost the highlight package of the feud between Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage and Georgie Animal Steel, uh, with him constantly kidnapping Miss Elizabeth. So... And as everybody is well aware at this time, Georgie Animal Steel was probably in as equally as a strong feud with Savage as Ricky Steamboat was. Um, so it made perfect sense for him to accompany Ricky Steamboat down to the ring at WrestleMania. And of course, we have, you know, there's they're showing some great highlights of, of Ricky Steamboat now coming out to ringside and at Saturday night's main event, wanting to start some fuss and some muss with Randy Savage. And we cut now to the incredible promo by Ricky, by Randy Savage, the Macho Man, the Intercontinental, the reigning and defending Intercontinental Champion. I love this version of Savage. Um, from everything, from just his attitude as the champion, the fact that when he won the title, his first thing he did was his first thing of business was that he went and he cut a promo on bad news for Hulk Hogan. And I just always loved that Savage was like, even though he was still the Intercontinental Champion, still defending his own guys, he still was fucking around with Hulk Hogan, and I always liked that. Uh, Savage's cape at this point is fantastic. It's the purple glittery with the star on the back. I mean, it's just, he's at, he's at peak Randy Savage in this case. Um, he's And he's only going to get better for the next year and a half, two years or so. Um, obviously when he wins the world title and then when he loses the world championship to uh, Hogan. Spoiler alert, he loses the world title. He wins the world title and loses the world title. I don't know if I'm spoiling anything that's over 40 years old, but um, it, it, just an incredible matchup altogether, uh, an incredible career for Randy Savage. Um, uh, Ricky Steamboat, his WWF run, it's not as obviously as, as notable as his NWA run, but it's still a good run altogether. So now we're kicking off. With this, we're going to kick off now the match with the ring entrances here down, down the runway on the on the 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 car ride, the sedan or not the sedan, but the car ride, the ramp. Um, Savage and Elizabeth again. Elizabeth wearing 
what appears to be, I would say, a very light pink dress, uh, not a white dress, not a white gown like she would wear at the fourth match at WrestleMania four. But this is more of a looks like a light pink um, Savage, of course, again, in his in his purple robe with the blue star and the white, the blue big star and the, the white big, big star. And then the blue big star in the back is this Macho Man Randy Savage or it says Macho Man on the back. Um, probably one of his best his best capes, in my opinion. Um, I do want to apologize for my sound of my voice is I'm currently trying to I'm currently battling a cold, but duty calls here on the uh, Cronoso Monthly for the North South Connection. So you want to definitely and I I fought to get this. Well, I didn't really fight, but I'll say I fought to get this match because, like I said, this is one of my favorite matches of all time. It's actually one of the two matches that I show people when they don't really know about wrestling they know enough, you know, they know the names, but they never really watch matches and things like that. This match. And then the hell in the cell from June of 98, that's pretty much the two matches that I show people. And in reality, I think it's, those are two of the, they're like two sides of the, of the same coin almost because you have this match, which is just a technical masterpiece. Um, and then you have the matchup, of the Undertaker and Mankind, which is just a total crash, car crash, and I think it's it's just great. Uh, now we cut back now to Mean Gene interviewing Ricky Steamboat, and they in Ricky Steamboat giving a very passionate promo, uh, different from many of his promos that he's done in NWA, I would say, but talking about how this is their moment, and it's just, yeah, Ricky Steamboat just amazing at this point now. The overdub on this is from because I'm watching this on the network and the overdub is the generic dragon Ricky Steamboat music. Um, it's not even the same music that he used when he had his 91 run or when he came back in that brief run against Jericho. I mean, it's I wish they had kind of used that. Obviously, they weren't going to use Sirius by the Aaron, Alan Parsons project because of copyright laws. But that's what Ricky Steamboat was coming down to at the time was Sirius by the, the Alan Parsons project. So. Uh, you know, just bear that in mind. Ricky Steamboat coming down, accompanied by George the Animal Steel. Uh, I always loved that George Steele would eat a tin. He would eat a bunch of Altoids before he would come out so that he would give his, his tongue that green color. And it's uh, it's really green today. Um, this matchup, one of the things that's notable about this, too, is that George Steele kind of gets involved more than just in the ending, but he kind of gets involved a little bit. Um, so, you know, I kind of I, I feel that. Savage is at Savage is at a disadvantage here because Elizabeth is not on the same level as outside interference, especially at this point. I think in, I think her first her first appearance, I think she had much more of a uh, of a heelish persona. You know, I wouldn't say she was anywhere near sensational Sherry levels, but, you know, a little bit more of that kind of negative influence on the outside as far as a valet, if you will. Um, so I think that, you know, this in this case here, by this point, Elizabeth is she's barely even the only thing she's good for at this point is for Savage to use as a shield in those cases. But the bell is rung. We got I'm assuming this is Dave Hebner. It is not Earl. So we get a lockup. And uh, one of the great things, like I said about this, is that there's like a record, I think, of like 22, 22, two counts or 28, two counts or something in this match. It's ridiculous. I remember reading about this back in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and just, you know, Bill Apter probably writing um, the the number of pinfalls, the number of two-count pinfalls in this match. And 
I think I, I remember seeing it was like 22 or 28 or something like that. And I went, my good Lord, you know, that's just so many. So we get a little bit, you know, a little collar, collar elbow tie up, Savage throwing it, throwing Savage, throwing Ricky Steamboat in the ropes. And then Sav- and now this is where Steamboat hits him with the arm drags. I think he hits him with two straight arm drags. Then he gives him the choke. You know, he holds him up on the choke hold and just the arm drags, the deep arm drags. Um, now everybody knows that Savage choreographed this match. He was very meticulous going over with it with Ricky Steamboat, which Steamboat wasn't a big fan of. Um, Steamboat preferred flair style, which is just that they would call everything on the fly. Savage was not like that. Savage was very meticulous with, I think, pages and pages out of a notebook. I think I think Steamboat said once that he gave him like just pages. He gave him an entire notebook, and Steamboat looked at him and was like, um, "Okay, man." And then it was just. But there was a method to the, no pun intended, method to the madness. And that's because, you know, they went out here this night and they stole the show. And I know that the spectacle of Hogan Andre is obviously that's the main event and everybody understands that. And there's really not, in my opinion, and I think in most people's opinions, there's not a better match on this card other than this. Um, You could say Hogan Andre may top it because... Like I said, that's a spectacle, and that's a, that's a main event. That's a once-in-a-lifetime, at the time, we thought once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. But as far as, like, work rate, as far as, like, you know, stars, anything like that, I mean, this is the match that does it. This is it. This defined a generation of the Intercontinental title. It defined the workers and really kind of, in my opinion, made this be – Savage made that championship the the workers' champion, you know. Hogan was the star. Hogan's the show. But Savage is the workhorse, and um, so it was really nice to see him get elevated afterwards to, you know, the world title scene. Savage, his gear for this, he's got the kind of the, I would say, like, I'd say light purple, deep pink tights with Macho Man on it, the three stars on the front. He's got the yellow boots with the two stars on each boots, steamboats in the, you know, white trunks with the dragon symbols on his boots, George Steele's wearing his sweater shirt ha 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 sweater his hairy his hairy body and so now steamboat's on the outside with the count savage had thrown him over the rope and we're just waiting now savage is kind of playing king of the mountain not letting him get back in smart move though as jesse just says smart move (laughs) the commentary is jesse and gorilla so now savage is dragging him back in by the hair and he flips him around, and now Savage is going to attack that neck, and he hits with the elbow right to the neck, right to the throat. Mm-hmm. And then now he's now he's taking it to Ricky Steamboat, kicking him on the ring apron. Savage totally in control of this matchup. And Steamboat back out on the floor. So Savage doing a taking things early, making sure he's setting his setting his paces here, and. Elizabeth looking nice on the outside, looking lovely as always tonight, Miss Elizabeth Savage now kind of brings him over, brings Steamboat back in over the rope with like kind of a, almost like a, you know, like a neck, neck, a neck throw or something. <laughs> it's win an elbow and now we go for our, now we go for a two count. And I think that's our first skit. And Savage doing the knee drop to the throat and another two count. We get our second two count, I believe. So. And this is just where it's it, it's it's not a lot of stalling in this match. Savage trying to throw Steamboat's head into the turnbuckle and then Savage, Steamboat reversing it. Now hitting him with his punches into the corner. 
just getting getting things going, hitting him. I like Steamboat's punches. It's kind of like he, he it's almost like he's hitting him with a claw. And now here is a good scene. Here's a good setup where so so Steamboat chops him into the ring in the middle of the ropes, and Savage kind of ties himself up. He he gets himself tied up in the ropes here. And while Dave's trying to free Savage, Steamboat's hitting him, and then Savage comes over and kicks him, kicks Steamboat in the midsection, and now he's back in control of this match. Irish whip into the ropes, a reversal, and Savage reverses it again, back into the ropes, and now Steamboat with a crossbody for a two-count only, and another deep arm drag. And an arm bar here, Savage grabbing the hair, tossing the thing. I mean, this is so fast-paced right now. These guys are just going mile a minute. We get shoulder blocks into the ropes and then reversals, and then Savage is like, we got to slow things down, so we kind of throw Steamboat into the ropes and gives him a high knee to the back. Just an amazing back and forth between these two guys. Steamboat skinning the cat here. And Savage just clotheslines him right back over the top rope. <laughs> so It's so great. And Jesse says, he should. you got to get up pretty early in the morning now to start the macho, man. That is true. And now, I mean, no, you know, knowing after kind of what the next couple of months had in store for Steamboat and for Savage and, um, you know, and then Honky Tonk, man, I mean, it's interesting to think of where, what the thoughts were at this time. I mean, I don't think that, obviously, I don't think that Vince McMahon knew that Steamboat was going to want some time off as the Intercontinental Champ and, and then, I mean, it would have been interesting to see if they had a continued run, if maybe they had kind of started up again. I know that when the first title defense that Steamboat has is, I believe, against Hercules, and Savage kind of comes out and interferes. So I had a, I have a feeling that it would have been one of these things where, like, Steamboat would have been the, the fighting, defending champ, but then eventually we would have got another, like, run where Savage is going after him, and then... Maybe perhaps at the Survivor Series in 87, it would have been, you know, Savage and Steamboat would have been on opposing teams as opposed to, as opposed to being on the same team. And Savage off the top rope with the axe handle onto the outside. And Jesse at this time is telling him that he should be doing the same move, draping his larynx over the the guardrail, and then hit the axe handle to injure re-injure Ricky Steamboat's larynx. So Jesse... Jesse telling Savage, basically, that he should be doing the same dastardly stunts he was pulling beforehand. Now Savage is up on the top rope again. Perched high up, fingers up, double axe handle down. And I just, I oh God, I always love Savage's double axe handles. And they're running elbow. Savage in full control here. I mean, Steamboat's not even getting, he's not even getting any kind of, any kind of house of fire heat at all. Now this is my uh, this is a savage move is where he runs and he he kind of gives a sh- a shotgun over the top rope or a stun gun over the top rope however you want I always love that where he runs over and he um, whenever I when I had my uh, my Hasbro action figures back in the day that was what that was a move Savage always did in my in my wrestling federation he always did the over the top rope he would jump over and kind of give the guy a, you know a stun gun or shotgun on the top rope. Now Savage hitting a suplex here, and another two count, and Steamboat kicks out, and now we have another, and I mean, Savage is kind of, the, the match has slowed down a little bit now, I mean, this is, you know, this is getting in, they're starting out, now they're going back and forth with chops and elbows and punches, and 
Steamboat's like claw punch that he would do. We got a side suplex here, gut wrench suplex rather, and another two another two count. Savage now going back on. Oh, now Ricky Steamboat on the offense here. Getting some of those mid midsection hits. Now we're going to go for a back suplex here. Nope, Steamboat back over. Nice chop. Another another claw hit into the rope. Oh, he goes, oh, no, he telegraphed that move. He put his head down. A cardinal mistake for a ring veteran. But Savage comes in, and Steamboat lifts him right over the top rope. And Savage, he full on just totally goes up and over, ass over tea kettle, right over the top rope and onto the floor. Nobody took a friggin' bump like Randy Savage. He was ultimate. He was the best. He was ultimately, like, I think the best... The best professional for Saturday Night's main event, the Saturday Night's main event era, Savage, because he knew how to do a TV match. He knew how to do even just like in a four minute, five minute match. He could he could bring you from start to finish the whole way. Now, Steamboat up the top, he drops a one one handed one handed axle for a two count. But Savage is his leg on the rope. And now Steamboat's kind of getting up. Now Steamboat's getting a little bit of the house of fire. He kind of hits him with a nice elbow. And Savage another two count, and, now, and Steamboat now is just hitting him, hitting him with the chops of the face, <laughs> to the head, to the face. Savage is now on the outside of the ring apron, looking like he needs to get out of here. And then Steamboat once again hitting him. Now Savage is out near George Steele, so we know George Steele is going to get involved because Steamboat has Dave Edner a little distracted here. But Steam, but you know what? George Steele does nothing, does nothing. So. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe George Steele did absolutely nothing in this entire match until now Sunset flip over the rope, Savage holding on to the ropes, but then he loses it, and we get another two count here. And now we got another scoop, schoolboy. Nope, nothing there. Another two count. Steamboat schoolboy, Savage. Now another drop, and he comes in, he kind of, does a double leg underhook here and another two count steamboat steamboat's getting all the two counts now in a small package and another two count again steamboat hits the small package another two count crowds going wild at this point steamboat with a big body slam and now it looks like he's going to do he's going to get a slingshot over to savage into the into the post savage went up over the over the buckle and into the post and then another another Two count. Oh, Savage taking a wild swing at Dave Hebner. Now we got a roll up. Savage reversing the roll up using the tights. It's still two two more two counts. And just some some back and forth hits by the two guys. Savage cheats now. He grabs the crotch of Steamboat's trunks and throws them right into this right into the post. And now, and now Steamboat's down, and Savage can go back to work here. So now Savage's pulling him out. He's going to Irish whip him into, he's going to Irish whip him in up, and a reversal, and another reversal, and oh, he got the ref bump. And Dave Hebner's down and out. And now here comes Savage. Savage with a clothesline, kind of a sling, uh, what's that, sling blade hook, sling blade clothesline. And now Savage is going to, this is where Savage is like, he goes and he hits the elbow. 
And Savage perches up, fingers pointing, and boom, he hits the elbow. And we got a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Savage's steamboat's out. Savage won this match, clearly. And now Hebner's now he, Savage goes over. He kind of shuffles Dave Hebner around, and now he goes. Now this is where Savage says, "Fuck it, I'm gonna finish it." And he goes out to the. He goes outside and he grabs the ring bell. This is where it all started, Jess. <laughs> and now he's going up to the top rope, and I mean the crowd's going wild for a guy like Savage, who's a bad guy. Everybody's going crazy. Now George Steele gets in. He steals the ring bell. Savage kicks him, which is about fucking time, in my opinion. He gets the bell once more, and now he goes up to the top rope, and this is where George Steele just basically shoves him off. My favorite thing is Gorilla trying to say that he rang himself with that bell, which is impossible because if you look at the tape and you go back, Savage definitely didn't hit himself. Now, Savage picks up. He goes to pick up Steamboat for a slam, and Steamboat gets him in a small package. One, two, three, the end of the match. Ricky Steamboat's your new Intercontinental Champion. The crowd goes wild. I mean, this is the, the culmination of an amazing angle, an amazing title run i mean not only that but savage's title run ended i mean it ends at an unbelievable amount of time you know second longest reign i believe for the intercontinental championship and we go into what i think at this point everybody had assumed was going to be the one of the great runs of champions here with ricky the dragon steamboat finally winning the intercontinental championship finally defeating randy savage finally being able to you know finish the finish the guy that put him out that almost put him out of the business and i'm pretty sure that uh that's what everybody was hoping for but it didn't work that way (laughs) it did not it was unfortunate but yep now we have the new intercontinental champion ricky the dragon steamboat and uh what a what a what a matchup five stars six stars seven stars eight stars whatever you want no um but yeah i mean you know randy savage had a 414 day run and that was and i think everybody was really looking forward to that and ricky steamboat had a 65 day run and obviously that led into randy that led into the the honky tonk man and um his reign his run which is the which is the longest. And then um, I stand corrected. I actually had to look up Savage is the third longest behind Pedro Morales. So if anybody out there counts Pedro Morales, which some people do and some people don't, but that's it. That's it for, that's it for Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania three. This is uh Keithy here on the Cronoso monthly on the North South connection. Thank you so much. And uh, have fun at the matches. to the iconic WrestleMania 3 backstage area with Mean Gene, my man, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Alice Cooper. We get a recap of the infamous guitar shot heard around the world where Honky almost decapitates Jake the Snake Roberts with his acoustic guitar in the snake pit. What's really cool about this recap and this interview is how Jake conjectures that it was Jimmy Hart who was the mastermind behind the attack because Honky does not have the guts to pull off such a move, which based on Honky Tonk's personality is uh, it's pretty true. And that's really cool because it gives Jake a reason for recruiting Alice Cooper to have his back for this match. And explains why they get to have a super famous celebrity show up at WrestleMania 3 in Detroit, Alice Cooper's hometown, and, and as Alice explains, also the home of heavy metal. 
Jake is wearing black and silver tights, with a snake on one side and a spider web on the other. Uh, I assume this is a reference to Alice Cooper, the person's pre-Alice Cooper, the band's band from the 1960s called The Spiders. Alice Cooper's second album, 1970s Easy Action, even had a song called Return of the Spiders on it. Spider iconography is very prevalent throughout the entirety of Alice Cooper's career, so a really cool touch here by Jake on his tights. And Alice is a really good match for Jimmy to be his counterpoint here since Jimmy's band, The Gentries, kind of had a similar career as, as Alice's band, The Spiders, did in the mid to late 60s. They both played a similar style of 60s like rock and roll. And while Jimmy and the Gentries definitely had way more success than the Spiders did, they kind of stopped making music right around the same time that Alice blew up and became a megastar. This is when Cooper morphed the Spiders into the Schools Out era Alice Cooper band that most people know them for in the 70s. So, so interesting parallels in their careers there that, that diverged in different ways. As Jake is making his way to the ring, we get Honky with a very Honky Tonk Man promo in the back that literally just ends with the image and the audio just fading out as we cut to the arena, because uh, even the camera and the audio has no interest in <laughs> Honky Tonk's bullshit. And they get their classic WrestleMania 3 cart ride to the ring, and they are getting booed like a motherfucker is by the Detroit crowd. One of the great things about WrestleMania 3 is how severe a lot of the inciting incidents were in these feuds that led to these matches at WrestleMania 3. Some really serious angles with Andre practically ripping the heart out of Hulk Hogan's chest and ripping his crucifix and leaving him, leaving him bleeding on the ground. Randy Macho Man Savage almost decapitating Ricky Steamboat with a ring bell. Uh, we have giant shears, megaphones, monarchies, bowing, lipstick smearing, baseball bat retribution. There's so much at stake. But then here, one of the craziest angles going into WrestleMania 3, if not the craziest of all, might be the sickest guitar shot you've ever seen that Jake takes, which I believe broke a vertebrae in his neck. These guitar shots are brutal. Jeff Jarrett, New Jack, you got nothing on this, cart this, on this guitar shot, man. Holy crap. So Jake almost has his skull bashed open by Honky, and that leads us to this match. So what would you do if you were the victim of an attack like that by an angry Elvis on your own turf? Well, you do what Jake does here, and he tacks Honky right before the bell. Jake clobbers Honky with those always incredible Jake jabs. I love the way Honky starts matches a lot with his bodysuit on, and it slowly comes off. Jake hits a great Mr. Wrestling knee lift, and then he strips Honky of his suit, exposing his uh, porcine belly to the crowd. Honky runs like hell to get away from Jake, always the coward. This leads to a great body slam on the outside by Jake. Unfortunately, Jake's hatred costs him, as once he gets back in the ring, he runs full speed at Honky. Honky nails him with the knee. And Honky gets a little control. Jake takes back control and then hits a really perfect short arm clothesline. And you know what happens next, right? We get an incredible shot of Damien in the bag moving around, smelling the blood in the water. Well, I guess snakes don't smell blood in the water. <laughs> That's a shark. Well, whatever metaphor you want to use and however a snake uses its tongue to detect blood, it's happening here. He's moving around in the bag. He's hungry for Honky Tonk's body because he knows the DDT is forthcoming. Jake signals for the DDT, but Honky Tonk gets the fuck out of there. He escapes. Jake follows him out again. This time, Jimmy Hart distracts Jake, and this gives Honky a bit of an opportunity to post Jake. Jake is totally discombobulated here. Jimmy Hart's great, just a ball of energy outside the rink. Alice Cooper doesn't really pay dividends right away. Uh, he didn't get over in time to help neutralize Jimmy Hart, but he does help Jake get up, which, of course, Jesse calls uh, the good guys on a little cheating there, which ain't wrong. Honky here will not let Jake into the ring. Just keeps nailing Jake with these violent knees. It's really good. Jake just can't enter the ring. The post hit and these knees have really discombobulated him and he cannot mount a comeback. When Jake finally makes it back into the ring, Honky maintains some control with a body slam and a fist drop <laughs> stolen from his cousin, Jerry the King Waller, who uh, not executed nearly as well. And uh, 
at this time, for context, Jerry Lawler was about a month away from his classic hair versus hair match with uh, Austin Idol, a guy Jimmy Hart used to manage back in the day in the CWA, a uh, brutal cage match. Honky's beating down Jake with fists, elbows, double axe handles. Honky sets up Jake for his finisher. Honky does the shake, but Jake backflips him over before we could get the rattle and the roll. Honky regains a bit of control, has Jake mounted in the corner. Looks like he's going for 10 punches, but after a few, we get a DDT chant from the crowd that erupts. And this gives Jake the adrenaline rush he needs to drop Honky with the reverse atomic drop. The honker pops up pretty quickly. <laughs> the honker pops up pretty fast here since uh, I guess he has no penis to hurt. And Jake just cuts him off with punches the shit out of him. Jake does what he does best here, taking advantage of his reach advantage and peppering Honky with those Jake jabs. Honky does what he does best here, which is beg for clemency. Jake gives him none. He blows his nose, picks Honky up, hits him with a big back body drop. Here the crowd is getting pretty goddamn amped up as Jake is punching the shit out of Honky. Honky gets caught in the ropes and does that weird pendulum thing where his legs are on the inside, but his top half of his body is on the outside, and he's pulling himself after each punch back into the punches by Jake. Always a fun comedy spot. John Moxley kind of took this and made it into an offensive maneuver later in his career, which is always fun. Jake gets Honky perfectly lined up for the DDT here, but what happens? Jimmy Hart grabs Jake by the legs. Honky puts his feet on the ropes, steals a goddamn victory right out from underneath Jake the Snake. The crowd is pissed. Jake loses his goddamn mind and almost killed the Honky Tonk Man with an insane guitar swing. Honky ducks just in time. Uh, the guitar is obliterated against the fucking ring post. Holy shit. Honky would have had a pancake face if that uh, connected with him and honky just books for the back total coward jimmy's stuck in the ring between jake and alice cooper alice cooper rips off his leather jacket rips off jimmy's jacket jake has jimmy hart in a full nelson alice cooper gets the snake and in a great moment the ref looks like he wants to interfere and say hey don't do that cooper points the snake at the ref and the ref gets the fuck out of dodge man he's like i'm getting the hell away from this shit the snake is huge Cooper's teasing Jimmy with it. Jake keeps the full Nelson on the mouth of the South, who's flailing around, begging for his life. Cooper keeps dangling the snake in front of Jimmy. Jake drops Jimmy so he can help with the snake. This gives Jimmy Hart just the opportunity to scamper away. Jake throws the snake onto Jimmy Hart just as he's escaping. It lands on him. It's a little bit of animal cruelty. I don't really appreciate it now, but as a kid, I fucking loved it, man. Luckily enough for Jimmy, the mouth of the South Hart, Honky Tonk Man cares enough about him that he runs back to the ring grabs his man, and they run back down the long WrestleMania 3 aisle as they are pelted with garbage in a great visual. Jake points at the hard camera. The crowd is cheering like crazy. Alice Cooper and him receive a massive ovation, and it's a really cool visual at the end. You know, Jake lost you know, Jake lost the match, but at the end, he's standing tall. He got cheated out of a victory here, and uh, we'll see what the feud carries on after this. But it's a total win for Jake in terms of getting a little bit of revenge, not full revenge. But enough that the crowd enjoyed it. He didn't get to kill Honky with the DDT, but he's definitely going to win this match without the bad guys cheating. So for an attempted homicide, mm, he didn't really get the perfect revenge, but he got a little bit. Match structure, you know, Jake starts off hot. Honky takes over with the heel stuff. Jake comes back in control just as he's ready to punt Honky away. The heels cheat. He loses. Sometimes that can happen, and the good guy stands tall at the end, and you kind of forget who wins that match anyway. It wasn't really about winning or losing. It was about Jake getting his hands on Honky. Did a little bit. Now we're just waiting for the DDT. In a weird little moment at the end, uh, Gorilla and Jesse Ventura make a couple cracks about the size of Alice Cooper's arms, and uh, yeah, they're not really that big, but hey, the guy sold a million records, done really well for himself, and reportedly around this time frame rebuffs the advances of Raquel Welsh. After this match, I was obsessed with Alice Cooper. I didn't know much about his music, or any music, other than the WWF albums, and I begged to go to the store and buy uh, an Alice Cooper album, and when we went there, 
What album was the current album on the shelf? 1986's Constrictor album by Alice Cooper, which featured Alice Cooper with a snake wrapped around his neck and in his mouth on the cover. What crazy WrestleMania 3 synchronicity there? Maybe that was a little unintentional foreshadowing. Uh, it also featured the song Teenage Frankenstein, which was huge, and He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, which was in Jason Part 6, Jason Lives, which is my all-time favorite Friday the 13th movie. I believe my mother was a little taken aback by the imagery and song titles, and I think I went home with a Weird Al Yankovic album that day instead. As far as the match, super fun. So that was just perfectly emblematic of a WrestleMania 3 mid-card match. Had great characters, a super hot angle, a wild crowd, a memorable ending, a celebrity, and a classic visual to end it all. I loved it. My name is Rocco Mortone, and I say, check it out. What's going on, Cronoso? This is Mike Rossi covering Nikolai Volkov in the Iron Sheik against the Killer Bees from WrestleMania 3. Now, as I'm watching this match, I think about the fact that the Killer Bees were the cause of a lot of vitriol from Iron Sheik during his very infamous Boston wrestling shoot back in the day um, with the late, great Dan Marotti of uh, Boston. So he hated these guys. Um, he wanted to break their backs and make them humble, much like he did many people. Uh, but this was a very typical heel babyface type of match. Uh, the heels were really able to, you know, overcome some things early and really get on the attack first. But then once the bell rang, the Killer Bees had full offense for quite a bit. Uh, the Bees had a lot of quick tags early, like maybe eight or nine tags in the first few minutes of this match. Um, really kept um, the Sheik isolated. Uh, Volkov ended up thrown out of the ring at one point. Um, and they just were able to work over Sheik. Um, now, eventually, this match would get to the point where, you know, it was just back and forth. Um, neither side was really having full control of the match up until like, maybe the three, four minute mark. Now, this is a match that didn't go very long. It went five minutes and 44 seconds. So there really wasn't an opportunity for either team to really look fantastic, right? So, um, it was just kind of a, a shit fest. Jumpin' Jim Brazil at one point tagged in, hit a beautiful drop kick for a two count on Volkov. Uh, I'm sorry, on Sheik and Volkov saved him. Uh, the heels double teamed Brunzel in the corner while, while Volkov kept stomping away at him. She came in, got another hot tag, and he had a double axe handle, which got a very tight two. Uh, he then tagged out. Volkov came back in, put Jumpin' Jim Brunzel in the bear hug, and then tagged Sheep back in. So they were doing a lot of good heel tandem offense, keeping Brunzel in the match. Um, Brunzel comes back with a running high knee, and then Volkov distracted the ref. So he didn't see the tag to Blair, so then they got to continue to beat on Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Sheik and Volkov... Then hit a double back elbow on Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. And back in the ring, she put Brunzel in the very famed camel clutch. Now, on the floor, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was chasing Volkov around the ring. Just, you know, chasing him with two by four. The, the flag, you know, this is America. He's hunting Volkov and the Sheik, who are so very much un-American. Like, this is the definition of politics right here, right? So, the big American, Hacksaw Jim Duggan who once got arrested um, while doing drugs on the road with the Sheik. Um, there's some good cartoons on the internet about that one if, if you need to uh, find that out. They had a little McDonald's and hit the road hard. But at this point, they weren't bros. Um, and and uh, Hacksaw ended up in the ring because Volkov ran in the ring while he was getting chased. Duggan followed in and then hit Sheik right in the back of the 2x4. This caused an end to a WrestleMania match by DQ, about 544 in. So, you know, this was the a D 
DQ finish. Duggan then led USA chant um, as they cut away. Um, really weird way to go into a main event. I guess a cool down moment, I guess. Match was fine. Um, finish definitely could have been done a lot better. Like, even the execution of the DQ was pretty shitty. Uh, but I, I understand. I mean, obviously, Duggan was held to a higher regard than the Killer Bees were. And at this spot at WrestleMania, they probably wanted to just consider on that that this was more of the road to go instead of the, the Killer Bees, right? So... Duggan was able to get the Killer Bees to the next level over the next couple weeks, um, which wasn't that high of a level, let's be honest. But um, this was a battle of the Russian um, and Iranian against U.S. in the tail end with a couple of Bs involved. So nothing too exciting. I'd probably give this like a half a star. Um, don't think you have to go out of your way to watch this one. In fact, I'm not even going to talk more than four minutes about it. So I hope you enjoy the run-through of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, the main event of WrestleMania 3, coming at you next. Hey guys, uh, this is Aaron uh, from the North-South Connection, and listen, I am here to tell you guys why I think Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant from WrestleMania 3 is... One of the greatest matches of all time. And I know it's a much maligned match. People people say the moment's great. The match sucks. I disagree. And here's why. So Hogan versus Andre, WrestleMania 3 from 1987, Pontiac Silverdome. Now, this is a long time ago. This we're, we're nearly 40 years out from this. And I know a lot of people didn't necessarily watch this one live as it happened. And I think that actually makes a big difference. Um, but why is this... Why is this match, in my my eyes, such a masterpiece? Well, first off, let me tell you. I don't think I'm so persuasive that in the end, I'll end up getting you guys on board with my uh, five-star rating for the match. But hopefully, and if nothing else, this gives you something to think about. Uh, and maybe, maybe shines uh, a bit of a new light on this match. So why do I think it's a masterpiece? Well, because it's fucking perfect from start to finish. And it's not just the match, it's the circumstances around it because you have this invincible champion in Hogan. This guy has run through the whole promotion. He's beaten everyone super soundly. And yet, he's got to go up against a dude who's been undefeated for 15 years. 15 years. 15 years to be undefeated is a long time. A long time. And look, beyond just that, beyond the Invincible Champion against the Invincible Giant, the rest of the build is also spectacular. Like, think about how they go about it, right? They bring in Andre. Uh, they give him a trophy for being undefeated. Next week, they bring Hogan a bigger trophy. And he's like, oh, uh, Andre's the real, uh, the real champion, brother. And it goes back to their whole friendship. So if you look back when Hogan first won that championship... The first guy to congratulate him, the first guy to come into that room and pour the champagne on his head and be like, oh, oh, oh. that's Andre the Giant. Oh, that's him pouring champagne, right? And Andre just ends up feeling that Hogan doesn't respect him enough to give him a championship, right? Like, and Andre feels spurned by the whole promotion. Like, why? Why wouldn't he get a championship match? Why? Why wouldn't that be a thing, right? Where is his shot? And Hogan just can't even foresee giving Andre a title shot because they're friends. And this 
the combination of the lack of respect from the promotion and Hogan barely even knowing this guy exists as a competitor. Well, this is what pushes Andre the Giant into the loving arms of one Bobby the Brain Heenan. Then we get that one great confrontation on Piper's Pit. One great confrontation. One combo rip of the shirt and the cross off Hogan's body, right to the ground. It's going to go down in infamy, right? It has no choice but to live in infamy. And because of this build, this becomes the main event of the biggest show of all time. The day that Andre challenges him on Piper's Pit really goes down in infamy. Andre is here to challenge. Hogan's like, please, brother, please. See, it's not personal for Hogan. Excuse me, it's not personal for Andre. Andre, it's business. But Hogan, it's personal, right? He feels betrayed by his friend. And that's, this is just the last or, or the most recent at the time in a long list of friends that have betrayed Hogan in his mind, right? But make no mistake about this. To this day, this is still the biggest match of all time. And I don't give a shit about how many people sat in that Texas stadium and watched Triple H fight Roman Reigns, okay? Because 30 years from now or 40 years from now, all people are going to be saying is, wait, is Stephanie McMahon not finished her promo yet? This match between Hogan and Andre had a cultural impact, right? And that, and there's no wrestling, there's no wrestling matches really had that since then. It felt like a huge deal because it was a huge deal. The stars were lying, man. The biggest megastar of all time was a giant killer. And the company has a big, nasty giant roaming around the promotion. It's a perfect storm. Now, obviously, let's get on with the match, right? And the pre-match promos are also incredible. All the brouhaha involved in this. I love in Andre's pre-match promo, he's so calm and collected. It's all business. He even preemptively says, I'm not going to take long. It's not going to take him long. Sorry, I wanted to translate just in case, right? And I think it's cool that that ends up being prophetic, considering what happens at the very beginning of this match. I just love how business-oriented he is. It's, he's done. He's done with the personal. It's not like he hates Hogan. I don't get that from Andre. I don't get that he hates Hogan. He feels let down by Hogan, which is such a stronger choice. But not only that, he lets he's let down by Hogan, but he's disassociating with Hogan, not because he hates him, but for the betterment of his career. And again, it's just so simple that it's beautiful. But Hogan's pumped too, right? He vows that that giant's going to hit the ground. Stage is set. We got Euchre doing the announcements. We got the celebrities coming down. Andre comes out on the ring cart with uh, Bobby Heenan. And the people are livid. Like livid. They're throwing garbage like crazy. They're throwing trash at him. Mad booze everywhere. And like, guys, he just wanted a title shot. He's allowed. Full disclosure too. At the time, I was terrified of Andre the Giant as a child. He was scary as fuck. Especially when he's just wearing that suit jacket, that little checkered one. Oh, he's choking Hogan on Saturday Night's main event. I was terrified. Anyway, and where does one even get a jacket that size? 
monster pop for Hogan. And I, I got a soft spot for Hogan ignoring the ring cart and just marching down to the ring with the bandana in his mouth, you know, going crazy. Jesse's talking about the tail of the tape and it already feels big. It's huge. It already feels big because we're there and you can feel the intensity right away too. But there's a cool intensity because what's cool is, is that the people in the building are uneasy. Like, and rightfully so. Like Hogan's title has never been in this much jeopardy before. Andre's so great at the small stuff too. Hogan's doing all his shtick. Andre's just freaking standing there, tall in the center of the ring, right? Andre knows the act. He's just waiting for him to get on, do the thing, rip the shirt, and he's going to win. Andre waits for him at the center of the ring. And it's at this point too, Jesse says, this is the biggest match of all time, Gorilla. And perhaps for the first time in wrestling history, there's not an ounce of hyperbole in that. They come together slowly. Incredible standoff. It's the way Hogan slowly walks up to him. He slowly walks up, gathering the energy from the crowd, right? As he's walking up, the crowd is losing their shit. They're losing their shit for a standoff, right? The crowd is this engaged in this match so far. And it's at like three hours into a show. Three hours into a show that had like a hundred other matches, including like a huge emotional catharsis in the Intercontinental Championship match. Amazing open with the stare down. Hogan's talking to him. Andre's not saying a word. He's just looking at him, looking at him with disdain. He's going to beat this man. Hogan's bad mouthing him though. You could tell they start shoving. Hogan gets some punches. And the second that first punch connects, because Hogan blocks a punch and he gives the punch, crowd's losing it. They are losing it. They are biting on everything. And then some more brilliance. Hogan picks him up for the slam. Andre falls back and they get the closest two count you'll ever see. It's so close that Andre thinks he's won. Bobby thinks he's won. Jesse thinks he's won. The crowd thinks he's won. They'll play on this for the next year, which is smart. And I love that it plays into Andre saying, it's not going to take him too long. Bobby's pissed. Andre's pissed. Even though Andre's pissed. And again, here's where he's a master of the little things. And I'm sorry, these little things matter in making a match a great match, right? Even though he didn't win, he knows that he's God Hogan. He's hurt him. He smiles. And that little smile, man, oh, it's so good because it's so rare that you see this much confidence from a big guy, right? Hogan doing a great job selling the back, right? And of course, smartly, Andre starts working the back. Yes, it's slow. I get that it's slow. But Andre as a character and as a worker is so well built that every single blow he delivers to Hogan's back makes it feel like he's going to end Hogan's life. Less, less is more here. And the fans are losing it because they're scared Hogan's going to lose the belt. Andre is pounding and pounding, slams him with ease. Great contrast. Hogan failed the slam. Andre, it's easy. Andre is in such great control that he starts taunting Hogan. Oh! Hogan eventually does get up. And at this point, Jesse's like, this is almost a mismatch. Again, great call. Hogan slammed again. Now, Andre does the simplest of moves. 
He just stayed back. Now, I get it. You're watching after 18 Johnny Gargano matches. You're like, oh, who cares about someone standing on his back, right? I get that it's not flashy. Listen to the crowd. When he does that, the crowd legit gasps. It's a... (gasps) Like, they are gasping and are impressed in a way that even even the prettiest moonsault can impress them. Andre standing on his back looks legit. I mean, it probably is legit, right? And then I love Hogan's crawling. His back's fucked up. He's crawling. He's crawling. All the while, the crowd screams. And look, I mean screams for Hogan. And this all plays in to that first failed body slam attempt by Hogan. Now, I know the criticism of Andre is that he doesn't do much in the match, right? Guess what? He doesn't have to, all right? Every shoulder block when he's ramming in the corner, it looks like death. When he backs up and ramps his back and ass into Hogan's abdomen, Hogan looks finished. Everything Andre does is done with purpose and it's meaningful. I've heard a lot of commentators being like, no wasted motion. No, no, this, what's happening right now in this match, this is actually no wasted motion. Every look, every shift, Every move means something. And that's not true to a lot of matches. That's not true to 99% of matches. But everything these two are doing in this match means something. Andre's got him in the corner, goes for a headbutt. Hogan slides underneath. Andre rams his head into the turnbuckle. What's great about this is it's the opposite of almost every other Hulk Hogan match that I've ever seen, right? The idea being that um, Hogan's opponents only get the upper hand if Hogan makes a mistake or if they cheat. Here, Hogan only gets the upper hand when Andre makes a mistake. And it's a complete reversal of fortune from what we're used to seeing out of Hogan, right? But when Andre does make a mistake, like ramming his head into the turnbuckle, what Hogan does really well is that he counters with urgency. He's leveling him with clotheslines. He does that weird running elbow where he hits him with the point. Sweet chops in the corner but he can't drop him. John, the Andre, Andre is just way too strong. Hogan getting more and more of the upper hand. As he's doing this, the place is just shaking. The whole building is coming unglued. Then Hogan runs at Andre. Andre just raises the boot. Again, simple. His boot's so big. His boot is the size of two whole Hulk Hogan's. Hogan goes down massive heat. And Andre locks in an Andre the Giant bear hug. And I hate bear hugs usually. But holy shit, is this one effective? I mean, already, right away, the crowd is throwing garbage again. And Hogan, to his credit, I don't think he gets talked about enough with Hogan. He's great at selling the agony of it. The way his fingers, his... So, like, you can engage your hands like this, right? But, like, his he's using DDP's dynamic resistance. (laughs) But, like, the way his fingers jet out, they're jetting out for help. He needs help from the crowd, Right? He's trying. Then the fists clench when he's trying to power out. These are small details, but the details matter because the crowd is losing their minds. I've I've never seen a crowd so engaged in a bear hug. And in fairness, I've watched every single bear hug that's appeared on WWF pay-per-view. Then Hogan starts to fade. And the place starts getting quiet. But engaged quiet. Not uh, bored, like, oh no. Oh no. They're upset. But 
Then Hogan keeps that arm up for the third time. And when he does this, the pop is so loud, you'd think the Lions just won the Super Bowl. And I know that probably doesn't resonate with a lot of Lions fans. And I get it. You don't know what it feels like. But it's fine. Hang in there. Barry Sanders, too, is coming at some point. That's the only football player I know. Hogan has to fight out of that bear hug. How does he fight out? By just going barbaric. Punch after punch after punch. And he fights like a thousand punches. And again, great details because with each punch, Andre lessens his grip just a bit. Every punch is needed to get out of this, right? To the point where Andre is kind of leaning back and like hanging on to his tights until a punch finally knocks him out. Everything matters. I can't think of another match where every punch changed something in the match. Like you'll watch a match and guys will just punch the shit out of each other for hours. On this one, Hogan punched him and released a little. And every punch got him closer to his goal until it freed him. It all mattered. Andre's just holding on to the tights, doing whatever he can to stop Hulkamania from running wild. But, you know, Hulkamania is doing a great job of chipping away at that giant. Punches, shoulder blocks. Again, Hogan runs into a chop. The crowd is upset. Hogan's offense so far despite it being effective in escaping holds, has not been able to get him any sort of an advantage over Andre. Then Andre kicks him like he's in the NES version of WrestleMania and Hogan tumbles to the floor. Andre follows, goes for a headbutt, misses Hogan, hits the post. Crowd going crazy again. Um, then Hogan tries to uh, basically commits an attempted murder on Andre by pulling up the mats and trying to pile drive him. Andre backs him out. Andre then throws him, brings him back in the ring, throws him into the ropes. Hogan dodges a kick, does like his old finish, not quite, but almost, that jumping massive clothesline. And finally, finally, the Giants down. People are literally, and, and I actually mean, not Gorilla Monsoon, I mean literally, people are literally jumping up and down in the audience. We get the Hulk up, crowd's losing it. Losing it. You see him hold down. He's doing, no, losing it. Crowd, the whole match has been building to this and they're still engaged. Um, and then we get, look at this. Hogan scoops him up. Body slams Andre the Giant, which for my money is still the greatest moment in WrestleMania history. It's not a hip toss like Lex Luger. He fucking drove him into that match. And I've seen, I've seen this slam, I don't know, thousand times right i've seen this match a hundred times maybe but with the story and the reaction of the crowd it it, it makes me emotional like that's my childhood right there but not my childhood only that's that's the peak that's the peak of it all Big leg drop, three count. Sorry. Roof is blown off. Hogan poses. Andre and uh, Bobby leaving the cart. I love Bobby being like this. Incredible match. So, why do I have it five stars? And am I insane? I might be insane. Why do I have this match five stars? Well, the purpose of a staged wrestling match is to engage the audience from beginning to end 
I have never seen a match or a better example of every single move, not only being meaningful in a match, but every single move creating maximum engagement from the audience. Every blow mattered. They cared about every blow, every bear hug, every clothesline, every single thing that these guys did, whether it be a move or a gesture or a look, resonated with the crowd. That's how locked in everyone was, the crowd and them. Yes, they picked their spots well. They were economical in what they did. They did things that mattered as opposed to just things. Everything had purpose and everything had urgency. Andre worked the back the whole match. But that's predicated on the fact that he injured Hogan's back right at the beginning. Hogan couldn't get anywhere on offense. So he finally knocks him down. And then use that urgency to take advantage. See, I don't need a match to have 15 moonsaults in it, 20,000 kickouts to be five stars, right? I need a great storyline with guys doing logical things. And I challenge you to find a match where the crowd is more emotionally invested in the entire match. Yeah, people are crying when Savage uh, reunites with Elizabeth. Probably the most best emotional moment. Maybe even when Sami Zayn gets knocked out of the bloodline, Jay Uso gets beat. There's a lot of great emotional oomphs. Watch this crowd. They are emotionally invested in everything from beginning to end. That's the point of pro wrestling, man. Pro, it, pro wrestling at its best is meant to remove the veneer that this is a fake thing you're watching. You end up, it, it's harder to suspend your disbelief in wrestling because it comes with that caveat that it's fake. You watch a TV show and care about characters. There's always that thing in the back of your mind with wrestling. So when it's at its best, it's when that goes away. And watch that crowd, right? They're jumping, right? They are completely enraptured in everything. They're engaged. They're invested. They're invested, right? They're scared on the bear hug. They were so scared on that bear hug that when that, when that body slam happened, the wide shot of the audience is people jumping for joy. People are literally jumping up and down for joy at the giant being slammed. They know it's a show, right? No one jumped for joy when Razor Ramon pulled down those two intercontinental titles. No one jumped for joy when Austin passes out in the sharpshooter. No one jumped for joy when Kurt Angle tapped out Chris Benoit at the 2003 Rumble. If you go back and watch all the five-star matches in company history, not a lot of jumping for joy. Not a lot of being that invested in the match that you become completely inhibited with your, un, excuse me, uninhibited with your body. How can this be anything other than five stars? When everything both guys do captivates the crowd and engages them further in the match. How can it not be five stars when this match crescendos into a absolutely pitch perfect finish? How can this not be five stars when you leave this show and all you're talking about is Hogan and Andre, not Randy Savage and Steamboat, who people retroactively said had the best match? Look. It's the biggest match of all time, the biggest stars of all time. But more than that, it's living proof 
that when you have great characters with great motivations, you can tell a perfect in-ring story without needing 50 bells and whistles. Go ahead, ask a lapsed fan or a non-wrestling fan what the greatest match of all time is, right? A lot of times they're going to say Hogan and Andre, right? Hogan and Andre too, the gate was sold. They're the two biggest stars. They could have gone out and coasted. Instead, they gave us 15 minutes of near perfection, or perfection in my eyes. Watching it now, I just watched it again to make sure I knew what I was talking about, right? I was as engaged as when I first saw it back then. I was as engaged as those people in the building. Now, this is 40 years have passed, but man, it's, it's so beautiful to see what pro wrestling can be when it's done right. When good conquers evil, when, when the irresistible force slammed the fuck out of that immovable object. Hogan versus Andre is a masterpiece. Perfect. Start to finish. Nothing's wasted. Everything tells the story. The story of the match is Hogan is surviving. Andre's going to win until Hogan pulls it out. And every nuance to everything leads to that moment. For me, it's one of the greatest matches of all time. See, you want to believe in Hulk Hogan. You're transported back there. Back to a, back to a simpler time. When, when wrestling mattered. This mattered, man. Back when wrestling was fun. And the company really did always try to put people, smiles on people's faces. It's not just nostalgia. Look. We want to be reminded of all that is good, right? And Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant in their beautiful simplicity is incredible. All right, and that's it for this episode of Monthly Cronoso. Thank you, everyone, for contributing this month. And we will catch you next month for Saturday Night's main event, number 11, from May 1987 and Saturday night main event number 12 from October 1987 and I'm sorry Aretha but this is the true Wrestlemania 3 theme song alright guys catch you on the next one